so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? out of what's going on in the world today and come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is running to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsevencents.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Seven Cents. 
and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290, or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. Oh, man. If anything could mess up, I can mess up a wet dream. You are now listening officially to Southern Sense here live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, WCETFM out of Columbia, South Carolina, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Let's just give it up. <laughs> this is Southern Sense, actually nonsense today. I am your hostess with the most sister radio chick, Annie, along with my loving husband and co-host, Yanni. Oh, I have to unmute him. <laughs> How are you all doing out there? Oh. With the hostess with the mostest, my chickadee, Annie. Oh, man, if, it, it's Friday the 13th. So, you know, you know, nothing is going to go right. So. Yeah, it's a great show today. <laughs> oh, man, I have even forgotten to put the video up on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm up on Facebook. And here we go. We got the video running, so it should click in in a second or two. Holy moly. Talk about messing anything and everything up. Uh, it is. It is absolutely <laughs> Friday the 13th. I can't even. I, I tried to chat, uh, type into the chat room, and why is my chat room on your screen? Oh, <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to know who J J U B E L I S, that's my husband, Yanni. <laughs> I don't know how the heck I got under your name. I don't even want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. It's Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> anyway. We've got ourselves a jam-up show today. Uh, we've got a ton of things going on. Um, we have the two Craigs, Craig Syracuse and Craig Huey. Uh, Craig Syracuse is a four-time Emmy-nominated executive producer and director and the host of Walk in Faith. Um, and matter of fact, we had our next guest uh, calling in an hour early, Jesse Iwiji, who is a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy. Ooh, Rob, sir. Yeah. He just recently got promoted, but he's also a NASCAR driver and a sports uh, commentator for NBC for NASCAR driving. Uh, Then it's followed by Craig Huey. And if anyone switched off of Fox News and has gone to Newsmax, you see Craig Huey, the Huey Report, up on Newsmax. He was supposed to be with us last week. He is going to be with us today. And we have an actually a rockabilly country music star, Dustin Collins, who has a new single out called Stand for the Flag. Oh, yeah, I love it. And then we're going to close out with our, our friends from the Heritage Foundation. And jo- Dr. Joseph Lacanti is going to be talking to us. As a matter of fact, some of the articles he has written, is going to dovetail really nicely into our our uh, guest for next week, who has written 1620, uh, the answer to the 1619 project. Uh, and a lot of the articles that Dr. Joseph Lacanti 
actually dovetails into this book that we will be talking about next week, the answer to the 1619 Project, the lies of the 1619 Project. So we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to do. And if I can try to make sure I don't miss the show up anymore, (laughs) keep my hands off the keyboard, Annie. (laughs) Oh, man. As a matter of fact, um, we have, uh, geez, I'm starting to have a loss of words, Uh, but we have a very intense dedication to our fallen heroes today. And it's going to go into um, Jesse Iwiji and some of the things he does. He does not know I'm doing this, and we will talk with him uh, when he does come on the air a little bit later. Uh, but uh, it looks like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a computer genius. So I sent him the information through Google uh, Calendar. And the Google Calendar changed the time. So he was calling in an hour early. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I just, guys, if, if you want me to send you something, don't ask me to do it through Google Calendar or anything on Google because they can mess up a wet dream. I, I swear, um, there are gremlins. There are trolls in Google Facebook and all the other things out there that they, they want us to use. They're trying to channel us down this little narrow highway of the internet. We we got to fight back. We They're going to really, throw you off. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 really, they really do throw you off. Um, and it, it's, it really can be a bit of a mess. If you're watching on Facebook, if you see my head keep on twisting, I'm turning around to look at my husband. <laughs> Who doesn't have his teeth in, so we're not putting him on camera. There's <laughs> a mask Oh, man. Anyway, let's let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. All right. Uh, today's, and those of you that listen to the show know that we do dedicate each and every show to a fallen hero or heroes. Whether they be military, law enforcement, first responders, firefighters, EMS. Or just people that are special. And we have done this from the revolution through today. And today's dedication is going out to not one, not two, not three, but to five heroes. And today's dedication is going to go out to Army Staff Sergeant Jason A. McDonald. Army Staff Sergeant Scott Sudeman, Specialist Justin Helton, Corporal Justin Close, and Private Aaron S. Toppin. All five of these brave men died on June 9th of 2014 while serving during Operation Enduring Freedom. And this is from the Fallen in the Military Times. The Defense Department officially announced the names of five soldiers killed in combat on June 9, 2014, while deployed to the Gaza village in Afghanistan. DOD officials have said friendly fire is suspected and an investigation has been underway. The New York Times and Fox News 
Both cited sources that the strike came from an Air Force B-1 bomber. Media reports and family members already identified four of the soldiers, but the Pentagon has now confirmed the name of the fifth soldier, Staff Sergeant Jason A. McDonald, 28, of Butler, Georgia. McDonald was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. The other casualties are Corporal Justin Klaus, 22, of Sprague, Washington. Klaus was assigned to the 2nd Battalion, 12th Infantry Regiment, 4th Infantry Brigade Combat Team, 4th Infantry Division, at a Fort Carson, Colorado. He was a captain and most valuable player of the Sprague High School basketball team his senior year. Enlisting shortly after graduation in 2010, he was on his second tour in Afghanistan. Orville Klaus said, His grandson was an awesome man who loved fishing and hunting. He was planning to leave the military next spring and get married. He was outgoing and yet quiet, Orville Klaus said. He was always a hardworking and ambitious kid. When his parents left June 11th for Dover Air Force Base to pick up his body, residents of the town of 550 gave them a solemn community send-off. Specialist Justin Helton, 25, of Beaver, Ohio. Helton was a member of the 18th Ordnance Company, the 192nd Ordnance Battalion, the 52nd Ordnance Group, out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Helton was in the Army since 2010, the son of Wendell and Sandra Helton. He, too, was engaged to be married. Everybody is so rattled, his cousin Mindy Helton said. Helton was in Afghanistan for only about two months, she said. It was his first deployment. He was expected to be home in about six months. She said her cousin specialized in dealing with explosives and was based out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. He was a great boy, so full of life and outgoing, she said. He, too, loved hunting and the outdoors. Staff Sergeant Scott Dudenmund, 24, of Pasadena, California. Like McDonald, Studemund was also a member of the 1st Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group, the Green Berets. The son of a former eHarmony CEO, Janie Studemund, he was deployed to Afghanistan in January and was set to return home in August of that year. He was a 2008 graduate of Flint Ridge Preparatory School in suburban Los Angeles. Studemund was a brave, virtuous patriot who had played football and ran track at Flint Ridge and loved military history and a good debate, the school said in a statement. When I think about Scott's service, I think of the founding fathers. A virtuous man must be prepared to risk his life fortune, and sacred honor for his country, said the headmaster, Peter Bachman. Though undersized for a defensive position, 
He made our defense go, the football coach and science teacher Glenn Betty said. He was aggressive, quick, and wouldn't let anyone block him or dominate him. He would fight through anything and would not let himself be defeated. Studemann played football at Pitzer College in Claremont, California, for a year and then took leave to pursue his life's dream, becoming a Green Beret, the Flintridge statement said. Pasadena Mayor Bill Bogard requested the flags in the city be flown at half-staff in his honor. And now Private Aaron Tippin, 19, of Mokina, Illinois. Toppin, like Claus, was a member of the 2nd Battalion, 12th Infantry Regiment, 4th IBCT, 4th ID. Aaron was predisposed to serve. He was very keen to be in the military, as Uncle Jack Winter said. He was quite proud to be there. Tippin was set to leave for Afghanistan in February. Gravely ill father died that month, and Toppin stayed for the funeral. He deployed in that march. Toppin was a graduate of Lincoln Way East High in Frankfort, Illinois, and loved the outdoors also, especially fishing. Family members at the home, June 10th of 2014, circulated a picture of Toppin as a young child sitting next to his father in a fishing boat. He was something somewhat rare in youth culture today. In a word, I would summarize what he was. Class, Winter said of his nephew. So rarely now do you see someone like that who truly does have class, who's polite, humble, loyal, who's a kind-hearted soul and generous. The Defense Department has not given full information about the incident, but they stated, we do have reason to suspect that friendly fire was the cause, Press Secretary Rear Admiral John Kirby said. An Afghan soldier and interpreter were also killed. Afghan authorities and a Taliban commander have been have indicated that the men had just completed a mission with coalition troops when they encountered a Taliban force. Called in, but something went fatally wrong. Airstrikes have long caused tensions between the Afghan government and coalition forces, especially when they caused civilian casualties. Airstrikes that kill coalition soldiers are far less common. Today's show is dedicated to these five brave men. Army Specialist, I'm sorry, Army Staff Sergeant Jason A. McDonald, Staff Sergeant Scott Studemund, Justin Helton, Corporal Justin Kloss, and Private Aaron S. Toppin, who all died in the line of duty from friendly fire. We also dedicate this show to all of the brave men and women out there that serve, whether or not they are military veterans from the birth of this nation through today and into our glorious future. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women who serve 
as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate to each and every one of them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
Grace, and we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News. Up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeartRadio, too, uh, WCET, out of Columbia, South Carolina. Oh, my goodness. We are all over the place, and I've got a cat jumping all over me if you're watching on Facebook. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're going to have a blast here, a lot of fun. Uh, we've got a big schedule set up for today. want to welcome those that are listening in over on Facebook, as well as over on um, Blog Talk Radio and everywhere else, wherever we are. So, Yanni, you joining me? Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk into the mic. Well, oh no, I was writing down notes. <laughs> sorry. I, I, gotta, I, I have to train my new co-host until Curtis comes back. As a matter of fact, I spoke to Curtis yesterday, and I, I can tell he's itching at the bit. He misses not being here, but he's got to take care of himself right now. He's got to look after his own health, and that's important. So, <laughs> But he should be back after the, the beginning of the year. I'm doing my best. <laughs> anyway, um, my computer is misbehaving, so it's, I'm trying to get this to go back up. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm looking at the Facebook feed and the computer is misbehaving. Whatever it's doing, I don't know what the heck it's doing. Anyway, we've got ourselves a great lineup. We're going to have Craig Syracuse, who is a four-time Emmy-nominated executive producer and director and the host and creator of Walking Faith. He'll be joining us in about five minutes or so. And matter of fact, Jesse Iwaji, Lieutenant Commander, U.S. Navy, Jesse Iwaji. Uh, called in early, an hour early. So he's looking forward to uh, coming on the show. He's also a NASCAR driver. So I mean, Yanni and I just love NASCAR. It's the one of the few sports left that we can actually enjoy uh, without the, all the crap going on. And then we're going to have Craig Huey, the creator of the Huey Report. And if you stopped listening to Fox News, go over to... One America News Network or to Newsmax. Uh, between the two of them, you actually get some real, actual, true news. And Tell not all your friends all about Newsmax is a hit. Well, yeah, Newsmax is a hit, <clears throat> as well as One America News. Um, so he's over there all the time. And then we've got a country, uh, a rockabilly country uh, music star, Dustin Collins. He's got a brand new song out called. Stand for the flag. Now, I got to tell you, I've got two bumper stickers. I'm not a person that ever really put bumper stickers on my car. You know that, Yanni. You've never seen me with a bumper sticker on the car. Mm -hmm. But this year, I've got two of them. One of them is from um, uh, uh, Hillsdale College and says, I stand for the flag. And it's dead center on my bumper. And just above it, it has, okay. it says, uh, this is the best. This is the, I'm surprised my windows have not been shattered yet. But it says, making liberals cry since 2016 as a picture of Donald Trump waving. <laughs> so you can find me. I stand for the flag and I make liberals cry. <laughs> and one flag flying out the window. Oh, yeah. And I have a, a, a American flag that's clipped onto the window. I, I, it's, it's my little four-door sedan, so I can't put it on the bumper. So the American flag is 
flying out the window with those stupid clips. You have to roll the window up to keep it in place. But actually, that flag had been taken off my car twice. Right. Yeah. Well, one of them flew off. Well, we're not sure about that. I am. All right. I was driving. Oh, you lost my flag. And see, this, this is what happens between a husband and a wife. They don't always tell each other everything. <laughs> now everybody knows. Now everyone knows my husband lost my flag. <laughs> but we have a, a lot to talk about. And like I said, we've got ourselves some great guests. You know, I have not turned the news on today. Um, so I don't know exactly what everything is going on. But we have been picking up seats in the House and the Senate. We're about ready to take the majority full force in the Senate as of last night. But uh, I do believe our first guest may be in on the line. Let me bring this person in on the phone. And you are here with Southern Sense. I am your hostess with the least mostest <laughs> radio chickadee. Annie, to whom am I speaking? Is this Craig? This is Craig. How are you? I, this is Friday the 13th, so anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was actually speaking about that this morning in my daily reflection. That was, it's Friday the 13th. There's new regulations that are coming out. It's, yes, anything can happen today. Well, I, I actually, I have not turned the news on, so I really have no idea what happened. I was up until around 5 a.m. in the morning. I, I have to apologize. My household... Uh, is has three people in it. Every last one of us is handicapped, one more than the other. So I'm the last man or woman standing. <laughs> so I didn't pick up oh, until about fun. maybe a little over an hour ago. So I, what what new regulations have just hit the fan? Well, I mean, so I'm in New Jersey, which sort of follows. Uh, hit, I mean, uh, Governor Cuomo. I forgot his name. I'm sorry. So. Uh, Mortelson Cuomo put in these new regulations. You know, there's uh, 10 o'clock restaurants, bars are closed, and now he's saying that the schools, probably as early as Monday, will start doing remote learning. Um, we're not really allowed to have Thanksgiving unless, you know, it's, you stick to these strict guidelines of 10 people. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very unusual time. Um, so, yeah, there's new regulations, but it seems like by Monday they'll do remote learning in the public schools, which is, you know, a huge problem for a lot of people. Oh, that that it definitely is. Um, we had a, a long conversation with several people around here. Uh, I'm in the great state of South Carolina. I fled New York after I retired. Um, I still have a lot of family in New Jersey, so I, I know the environment you're talking about. And uh, oh, geez, between De Blasio and Cuomo, I don't know which one's worse than the other. Actually, I think I would put yeah. De Blasio Cuomo. Cuomo's just one step up. <laughs> but that's not I, you know, I, 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 I agree. I, I think I liked Cuomo when I was, you know, a couple of years back, and then I just, you know, just don't like him. You know, I'm just not a fan of Cuomo. Um, just not a fan, yeah. So I probably would put them in the same boat. Well, he's not his daddy. His daddy yeah. was a liberal, yes, but not his daddy. At least his daddy was more of a centrist than than what his son appears to be. So, I mean, it's something about the gene pool. It just kind of, like, disperses as it goes lower down the rung. <laughs> I, guess, oh, I guess I've been uh, I've trouble, I guess. <laughs> but 
having me on the show. I, tr- I truly appreciate it. Well, this this is the Italian hour. You, you, we're going to have four Italians, me being one of them. So, uh, so those that are listening in to understand who we're speaking with, we've got Craig Syracuse. He is the host of the Walk with Faith, as well as being a four-time Emmy-nominated executive producer and director. You have an outrageous uh, website, um, which I was I was poking around last night just to get a feel of you and uh, you you got your fingers in just about anything and everything but your main purpose uh your mission your as a minister not a, you're not a minister but your your mission is to spread the faith which is a wonderful thing so long our faith has been silenced we were afraid to even heaven forbid we said god bless uh, to someone that opens the door for us or anything. We didn't wear our crucifixes on our chest. We didn't carry our faith openly. And for some reason, in the last several years, with, I don't know if it's President Trump or it's just now the final pushback by the faithful to bring our faith out because we had been under attack for so long. You, are, you definitely hit it. You know, it's funny. Growing up, I grew up in an Italian Catholic neighborhood, and I thought everyone was Catholic or Christian and Italian because everyone was outspoken about their faith. And then as I got older, I realized that people wouldn't speak openly about faith unless it was Easter or Christmas. It was only when society would sort of give us permission to post on social media that it's Ash Wednesday and we would feel comfortable and then we would hide behind you know, whatever society says is popular at the time. And it would bother me. And I used to, you know, I've interviewed a lot of celebrities, thousands by now, and a lot of them are very open about their faith. But I've noticed why, you know, I think why people don't speak openly about faith is because when I, you know, talk about faith, especially on YouTube or Instagram, number one, you get shut down, right, which we know. You know, the algorithms don't push out the content. It gets denied. People come at you all the time with these, just these comments so I could see why. And, you know, also, too, if you're applying for a job, right, you know, you're always afraid that they're going to criticize you or maybe not hire you because you're, you know, you're talking about Jesus all the time. So I could see why people don't do it. And that's exactly why I do do it, because I'm not going to let anyone tell me that I can't talk openly about God. I'm not going to let somebody tell me I can't talk about Jesus. And, and I'm going to constantly tell people, God bless you. I want people to see something different in me and then ask me, you know, what's the difference? What, you know, why are you, why are you this way? And I want to say it's because God, it's because of my relationship with Christ. But it's a challenge, I'll tell you. It's a challenge. It's a lot easier living in the secular world and, and not worrying about a relationship with Christ, right? I can go through life without a problem, but it's hard. But I think we all need to be open about our faith and let people know how God has impacted our lives. Well, that, that, you said it, you nailed it. It's easy to live in the secular world. It's hard to follow your faith, but this is this is something which is which is unique to America. We have the choice of free will. We can choose which path to walk. Whereas if you live in the world under the, the Middle East under Islam, you have no choice. Under communist China, you have no choice. You either walk one path or the other, but there's, there's no free will. And this is the one thing about Christianity. 
because Christ taught us that we do have free choice. It's what path we choose. Right, right. I, I just, you know, I, I, I appreciate, you know, the compliments and everything, and I really do. I always, you know, with my show, what I, with my walk and what I do, I just, I'm always trying to reach that one person. Like, I want to, it's very simple when I put it this way. I want faith, Catholicism, Christianity, Jesus to be cool. I just want people to, the way we would wear our chain, you know, on the outside as Italians, we would all do it. I want people to just be so open about their faith to where it's like it's cool. Where it's like, yeah, let's talk about Jesus and not be afraid that we're going to offend someone. You know, because that's, it's our story, it's our testimony. I mean, we all have to carry our cross. It's not about, am I going to carry my cross today? Or is it, am I, do I feel comfortable carrying it? You know, we have all these ideas. No, we just need to do it every single day and be consistent about it. But believe it. I, it's, I don't know, it's something I'm on fire about. It's, I can't put it out. You know, I had someone ask me the other day, why do you talk about that Jesus guy all the time? And I'm like, what else should I talk about? You know, what am I supposed to do, hide behind something? This is what I'm called to do. I, I, I'm going to keep doing it no matter what. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, tell you, um, I was raised also Italian Roman Catholic. <laughs> I'm only second generation American, so I know exactly where you come from. So coming from New York and New Jersey with my family there, it's like you can't get any more Italian, where I still uh. even jar my own pasta sauce. And I don't even oh get into God. the argument between gravy and sauce. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, my, my my brother is more about that. My mom had a rule. She would say, No a church and no go out of cider and that was it. You have to go to church. Like she was so strict. And I I have asthma, so every Sunday I would have these asthma attacks. It was like, and then it was a miracle because I was healed, and then she caught on. But you had to go to church. That foundation of faith was, it was instilled in us as a kid. There was no, I'm not going to church or I'm not praying. You had to do it. It was part of the lifestyle. Now, eh, you know, go to church, maybe not go. Maybe you have a relationship with Christ. Eh, whatever you feel like it. It's, It's so different than what it was when I was growing up. Well, you know, it's, it's because now, you know, when I was growing up, I'm a little bit older than you, so forgive me. Um, you know, it, it was, it was, um, it was part of the local town lifestyle. You know, you didn't have all the social networks and all the media and everything we have today. You had family and neighborhood, and that mm-hmm. was your social. Today, we have people disconnected where they don't even know how to interact with a fellow human being. If it's not done in 140 characters on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you're not having a social interaction. For some reason, we're getting whole generations that are completely disconnected from being humane. Mm. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I think, too, though, it's something I talk about. Um, so I'm actually writing a book now, and I just did this article, and it was all about my experience during COVID. You know, but some of the, some of the things that I've, I've seen just interviewing people is that a lot of the parents aren't building that foundation of faith within their kids, and then they're wondering why the kids are saying, I'm spiritual. You know, I believe in the universe, or I was raised Catholic, or I, was, I used to believe in God. And they're looking at them saying, well, I don't understand how this happened. And I'm like, it's because you didn't build that foundation of faith, because it starts at home. And they're questioning why they're, they're children, why there's so many nuns, right? They call the nuns now, no affiliation at all. 
and why it's an increase and why people aren't believing in God. But I think really this new generation, they believe in something greater than themselves. They have all the qualities that really we could teach them and preach to them about the faith because they don't have sort of that same perspective that when I went, like maybe the generation before me or after me grew up in. I think if we really preach them about the qualities of love and life and Jesus Christ, I think because they have that little bit of foundation of faith, I think we have a shot. I really, I want to believe that we have a chance. I don't want to give up on the generation that, you know, they're so anti, you know, Christianity. I really feel like there is a way, there is a seed that's there. I think we can we can really get to them. I really I, I want to believe that anyway. Well, you know, I I actually had left the the Catholic Church. I'm now Anglican, which my brother-in-law, who happens to be a Baptist minister, says is Catholic light. Um, but I've never lost faith. I just lost faith in the Catholic Church when I saw it going mm-hmm. down a certain path, especially with mm-hmm. the new. Uh, God, he's been in there more than a couple of years, so he's not a new pope anymore. Anyway, um, but I've, always, I've always had a very, very strong faith, and I believe the human spirit always strives for something. It's just natural. It's part of what God put in us to strive for something. And unless we light that lantern and open the door uh, for them, um, we just may lose the next few generations, but this is what you do. Some things that you do through your media, uh, which people, uh, there's a link on our show page that people can click on, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, but DeSellusMedia.org? So this, yeah, DeSellus Media is, um, is the, my personal website is God's Plan Productions, which is very easy to, uh, to find, and then DeSellus Media is yeah, is where you can see all the shows and a lot of the content I've created. Um, but yeah, either website is fine. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time, and I mean, I'm doing content now because of COVID. It's a little bit restricted, but you know, thousands of hours of content and TV shows and documentaries. You know, every day I'm posting videos and content reflections. And, you know, it's just trying to reach that one person. And, you know, somebody said something to me the, the other day, and they were like, you know how many people watch your videos and they don't click on them? They don't like them. They don't comment. And I was like, why? Because they were afraid or they're afraid that someone else will see that they like faith-based content or content that has to do with Jesus Christ. I was like, it's unbelievable how we're afraid to let people know that we're searching or we, we believe in something beyond ourselves. And I think we all have that ability, the same way you're doing. We all have a platform, whether it's your family, your friends, YouTube, social media. We all have the ability to talk about God, to share our story. We need to utilize the platform, whatever that platform is. It doesn't matter if you're online at ShopRite. Use the platform to talk about God or inspire people or smile. And all of that is showing love and compassion, and we can all do our part. We all need to do our part. My co-host happens to be my husband, Yanni. Go ahead, Yanni. Craig. um, Yeah, Yanni. Um, (laughs) I just want to ask you, if you um, experienced something in the hospital, they said I was virtually on the deathbed, right? Uh, Well, let let me tell the story, because he's going to get it a little bass backwards. My my husband had fallen, broken his hip, but because of other complications, 
um, when they got him to the hospital, he had gone into critical condition and he was in ICU. And we've got five cats and I had to leave ICU to come home to feed the cats and scoop out the cat box. And I was on the way home. Uh, actually, just before I left to go home, a friend of ours had come into the ICU unit and gave us prayer shawls. And I had the prayer shawl around my shoulders as I was driving home. And I was I was crying. I don't even know how I drove because I was crying so hard because the doctor told me if he does not turn around in the next few hours, then be prepared. Basically telling me if he doesn't turn around the next few hours, he's going to be dead. And I'm hysterical crying as I drove. And I'm thinking to myself the whole long way, what am I going to do? What am I going to do without him? And I'm, that's the whole question all the way home. And I got home. I took care of the cats. And I actually went to the side of the bed. And I'm handicapped, so kneeling down is not an easy thing for me to do. But I went prostrate on the floor. And I was crying hysterically, praying to God. And I was praying. And all of a sudden, it hit me like a two-by-four across my head. And it said, you're praying for the wrong thing. And mm. I took a step back in my mind, and I'm going, God, whatever your will is, I accept. If this is what is to be, I accept. Just guide me. And I changed my prayer. And in that moment, and I remember it was around 10 o'clock in the morning, I got back to the hospital. I get off the elevator. The doctor comes rushing up to me. She's crying. She's hugging me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's gone. My husband's gone. And then I finally lifted my head as she was crying. I was crying. I looked up into her room, sitting up, laughing with the nurses as if nothing ever happened. And then wow. Donnie, tell me what happened to you at that time when I... I changed my prayer. That's what I was asked was because I felt first the pain. And then I felt really and uh I saw something bright. Now when I tell that Is that not a testimony? It is. And that's the thing. It's sharing the story. But some people are afraid to share their story, their testimony. But through the storm, right, through the testimony, all of that is what leads people to Christ. Like that story might relate to me. It might not relate to someone else. But it's just sharing that story, that personal journey. We all have a story and we all have a testimony. And we just need to, we need to, we need to just share it. You know, and, and I hope that, you know, I really pray that the world starts to change a little bit and people feel a little bit more openly about their faith and their journey. And that I really do. I mean, it's something I think about every day and it's a challenge. I mean, I'm up for it. I hope there's more people. I know there's a lot of people out there that are, and I hope more people would be more outspoken about their story and the way you shared your testimony. I mean, those are miracles. I mean, that's a miracle. Uh, you know, there's, there's no coincidences in life. But I just, I really pray no. that people really will will share their story. They really do. Well, you're right. There are no, there's nothing, nothing's a coincidence. There's always a purpose to everything. But what we as a, a nation or as a world population, we fail to seek God even in everyday life. 
Um, I can tell you story after story where somewhere along the way God interacted. I recently had a really bad car accident. Someone came at me head on. I mean, deliberately aimed at my car, totaled my car. And the the trooper that came over and looked at the car and looked at me standing, he's looking like, how did you walk away from this? And wow. I just can say, God, God protected me. I, but even in very simple everyday life, we don't look to see his beauty and magnificence. I mean, I've gone outside on a bleak day, and all of a sudden I'd see a flower that had bloomed that should not be there at that time. Those simple little things, it's God's little thumbprint going, hi, I'm still here. I'm still here. I mean, I, I fell... Uh, I fell a couple of weeks ago. I went to, someone had ripped out my Trump sign and everything. So I go to put it back in the ground. And as I stepped onto the pavement, I went sprawl in the middle of a busy street. For the grace of God, the car, there was no cars coming at that time. Meanwhile, the street had just a few moments before been very busy. And in these little things, I see the hand of God going, hey, (laughs) slow down a little bit. He was telling me. And just be a little bit more careful. Uh, but you have to see the little bit in each and every day that he gives us. We, don't, we fail to listen anymore. I agree. I, I told my son the other day, he's four, and he slipped. It was such a small little thing, and they said, you got to thank God. And, he, and, you know, I'm trying to train him now, and he's like, thank you, God. It's like you could have fell and got hurt. But, I, you know, I always like, talk about... You know, like when we talk to God or we ask for a sign or we're looking for a sign, it's always the burning bush. Where's the burning bush? Like, but like you said, it's the little flower, it's the wind, it's the person that looks at you, the smile. It's the little things. That's how God communicates to us. But if you're just looking for this major event and that's how God speaks to me or that's the only way God communicates, you're never going to see God in anything. I look directly look at people. Now it's hard with masks, but I'm always looking at someone to see. You know, if somebody's looking for, maybe they're looking for God the same way I am, and I can share it with them by a smile, by a look, by something. Like, I used to walk around and give out rosary beads. I usually have one in my pocket, and I just like to give them to people, and I walk away, because and then it happened one time where a woman said something like she was searching or praying for a sign, and you know, listen, I just gave it to her. But it, it affected her in such a way. So instead of us always looking for God to bless us or who's going to bless me, we have to look at ways that we can be a blessing to other people. And it's simple. It's just as simple as smiling, holding the door, saying hello. You don't know what people are going through. But I think we all need to do this. It's not just priests or rabbis or whoever. It's everyone needs to do it. Everyone is called to just sort of emulate God. You know, to be holy. That's what we're called to do. Isn't that the message that he gave us when he returned from the dead for us to go yep. out? He didn't tell them to come into us. They, he told us to go outward and to spread his word and to multiply. Mm-hmm. So it is, mm-hmm. it is our obligation, if you're willing to accept the burden, because, again, he gave us free will, but it's our obligation to recognize and to spread his word. And uh, my bishop had an interesting story. He had been in China, and he had preached a sermon. And after the service, he went outside, and a woman came up to him, and she said, thank you. He goes, what? 
He goes, thank you. I did not know his name, but I know him. And he mm-hmm. looked at her and she goes, the name you gave him was Jesus. He gave a message, whatever his message was, preaching about Jesus. She had already known him. It just she did not have the name. It's inside each and every one of us. Only if we're willing to accept it and recognize it. Mm. Yeah, and, you, and when you started saying that, it made me think, you know, we're all called to do it, but you know, it's not cool, it's not popular, it's not what society says. Right? They're not teaching us that, right? They're teaching us all about me, it's myself and materialism. So it's not the cool thing to do is to go out and talk about God and be in a situation like uh, talking about your faith. It's not popular, it's not cool, you know. So I see why people don't do it and people aren't going out there and, and really being outspoken about their faith. You know, growing up in an Italian household, they always make the joke, like, have you ever heard the word repent in the Italian Catholic household? It was like, repent? Oh, my God. Like, what is that? Like, you know, and, and you, you see you're, you're, like, brought up in this environment where you certain things you just you turn away from because you don't understand them. And now I use that word all the time, repent. Growing up, certain things would be like, you don't talk about God. You don't talk about faith. You don't talk, you know, that, that's, that's something you, maybe you discuss in the household. But I think we really need to all really take a step back. COVID has not taught us all something about really what's important in life and what our, what our purpose is, what our calling is according to God's plan, then nothing is going to change us. Because this is the only time where the whole world has stopped at once and has to take a step back and say, what is God really trying to say to me during this season? Like, what am I really doing with my time and my life? Is this really what I want to do? You really need to ask yourself the question across the board. Do I have a relationship with God, with, with my family? You know, what am I chasing? Like, if you're not really self-evaluating yourself now, you're never going to do it. Because this is the time where we're all just just still and stopped and everything is just stopped. You have to take a look at your own life and say, what am I doing? Where am I going? What is the who am I? What am I called to do? This is the season, man. This is definitely the time for us all to do that. Well, you know, uh, having been raised Italian Roman Catholic and knowing the guilt, because when you say repent, uh, all of a sudden the hackles went up on my back. Because we, yeah. we like to say redemption. seek redemption. Uh, that's that's what we yeah. like. Uh, we, like to say, um, but my, I got to tell you, this is, this is, I've, I've said this on the air before and everyone knows my grandma, she goes, Anuch, that's what she used to call me, Anuch. She goes, you and Noah, the difference between an Italian and a Jew. And I said, what grandma? She goes, we are put a tomato in our chicken a soup. <laughs> so basically she's saying that we all have faith. We just look at it a little bit differently. And so we put a little different flavor in it, but we all have it in us. It's a matter of awakening it. And I think that's yes, what yes. you do so magnificently. And I got I to gotta laugh because um, a friend of mine who passed away last week sent me a crucifix. It's the sword of St. Michael who drove the mm-hmm. Moors out of the Iberian Peninsula. And I get so many compliments on it because I wear it openly. We we don't have to wear it on our sleeve, but just by our actions and our kindness, we can bring people back to faith. Mm-hmm. You're right. Uh, you're right. And you know what? I have St. Michael, a huge tattoo on my back. Um, so oh, I, I love St. Michael. <laughs> and, and the same way you said we can bring people to Christ or faith, 
and the awakening 100% is the same way we can turn people away. So, like, the way you carry yourself, and I am so conscious on how I carry myself, and it's from the small things which I heard from someone else about returning your shopping cart. The small little things that we do on a daily basis, the way you hold the door, you talk, you post them on social media. If you talk about God on Monday and Tuesday you're doing something that's completely, you know, contradictory to your beliefs, you, you have, it's, it's worse. You have more of an effect in a negative way. So if you are going to proclaim the gospel, you're going to talk about faith in God, you have to make sure you're very conscious about everything you do. And I talk about it. You have to do and take an inventory of your life. What do I listen to? What do I watch? What am I saying? Who am I talking to? All of that. Because that is really what it is. It's not just about, oh, Jesus on Sunday and Monday I'm doing something completely different. It is a complete lifestyle. And I'll tell you, it's a challenge, right, like, like we say, but that's how you really can lead people to Christ because they look at you so differently and say, man, this guy is happy. He's filled with joy. What's, you know, what's, what is he doing? And they start to see how, for me, I'm always happy. I mean, there are days where, you know, the enemy comes or I'm upset, but for the most part, I'm just always like, this is me. There's no, you know, Craig on the weekends. This is Craig all the time. I'm always the same person. I'm always talking about God. I'm always doing something for my faith. There is no, uh, I don't do anything else. That's it. You know, that's who I am. Well, you know, one of the things I, I've been trying to do, and I don't always succeed, but I do my best, that whenever I see someone, I meet someone, especially for the first time, I always find something to compliment them, something kind, something nice to say yeah. to them. And no matter what race, what sexual flavor they are, just always find that kind word. And too many times we're buried in our own self-issues, our own desires, our own needs, and we forget that we're interacting with another child of God. And this is the whole thing. Mm -hmm. In society, we fail to recognize that person that you're walking next to or standing next to in line or passing in the hallway, that this is another fellow human being. And this is the problem with our society. We've become so disconnected with being the social creatures that God created, we forget this is a fellow creation of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. right. And I think that's why I was saying earlier about we need to be a blessing to other people. But you're right, social media or all these platforms, it makes you so like the world, everything's about you, right? And the world revolves around me, and it's about what I want, and it's all about me and not taking the time to look at someone else. And it starts by really just looking at somebody in the eyes and smiling and, like you said, listening to them and just wondering why are we, why are we in the same space at the same time? You know, because it's not a coincidence. You know, you're on a plane. I always look at everyone saying, what are the probability of us all being on this plane at the same time? Like, maybe God wants me to meet someone, smile at someone. There's a reason, right? And I think about that all the time. Whenever I go around, I'm like, why is this person in my space? There's a reason, you know? And, and I try to think about that because then it takes me in that moment to where I'm looking at that person and smiling and acknowledging them and not thinking about my own life and, what, and how important I am. Because we're all the same. We're all brothers and sisters, right? We're all children of God. And, and we could say it, but do we believe it beneath the surface? Because it's easy to say, right? But do I believe that? Am I really going to look at you and say, you are a child of God. You are my brother. You are my sister. Even though we look very different, even though we may not, I might not speak the same language, do I truly believe what I'm saying beneath the surface? Well, Craig, it has been a pleasure having you on. 
And maybe one day you will interview me, like you said. <laughs> I know your story is your story is great. I mean, I'm used to interviewing people, so I would love to do that. I would love to interview you, get your story. I, that would be that would be great. Well, where can people find you? So on Instagram, it's C. My last name Syracusa. My website is God's Plan Productions, uh, and my show is Walk in Faith, and it's on. I don't know, 10 or 12 different platforms from Pure Flicks to basic YouTube to uh, Salt Flicks. So many stations carry it, and, you know, I've been doing episodes for years, and you could always reach out to me, like, on YouTube, Walking Faith, you know, Facebook. I'm always around, always willing to talk to people. So, yeah, I would love for people to reach out to me. Well, Craig, it has been a pleasure, and we have to get you back on. You're, you're just oh, too much fun pleasure. to talk with. All right, God my bless My pleasure. Thank you so much. God bless you. Nice meeting you guys. Uh, Craig Syracuse, so check him out. But we've got our next victim up inside our, our studio here who called in an hour early because he's so excited to be on my little show. And I always have fun watching him on NBC. We've got Lieutenant Commander U.S. Navy, uh, uh-huh. Jesse Ewitsky, also a NASCAR driver. Good afternoon, Jesse. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it is it is our pleasure. Today is, is, is Friday the 13th, so anything that can go wrong will go wrong, so be prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, anything can happen. I, every time I see Friday the 13th, I'm like, man, why, did, why does that have to be Friday the 13th? Why does that have to happen? But at least it's not a race day. You're not racing on number thirteen, are you? Leave that to I, I did actually on um in August and uh, actually had a good race. Oh really? Well, actually, my co-host normally is another Navy veteran, uh, Curtis C. S. Bennett, but he had to take a little bit of a leave for health issues. So I pinch hitted with my husband Yanni. So, <laughs> I mean, I, if you're married, you may as well excuse, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like what's the point? Exactly. Kids. Exactly. Well, you know what? You actually, you actually had me crying. I got to tell you this. Um, I, I had been. We had the race on. We always watched NASCAR. Matter of fact, uh, my cousin uh, has a team in the modified division. I don't know if you know Jamie Tomano. That's my cousin. Uh, second remove, but my cousin still just a mm-hmm. little bit older than me. Jamie, you hearing me? You're a little older than me, not me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, but I was passing through the room and I stopped because I saw you up on the screen and you had Dale Earnhardt Jr. on one side uh, and you were in full uniform and you were being promoted. And I stopped. And I watched the ceremony, and I watched you take that oath of office again. And I had tears running down my eyes, because as you were reciting it, I swore a very similar oath when I became a New York City police officer. And I was crying. I honestly was crying watching that on TV. Yeah, no, thank you. It's um, It was a really cool experience to be able to do that on NBC Sports. And <clears throat> big thanks to Dale Earnhardt Jr. and also, you know, my girlfriend and Vice Admiral Buck from the Naval Academy. And, all, and you know, big thanks to also to everybody at NBC for even um, putting this on. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was super cool to have that opportunity to 
be at Charlotte Motor Speedway, be able to take the oath again and, you know, renew my contract. Um, well, not really renew my contract, but I guess uh, renew my allegiance to the the Constitution of the United States of America. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I mean, promoting the lieutenant commander, that's a big step for me. And I look forward to the next 10 years of my Navy career before I eventually retire in uh, 2030. Wow, you've already got this planned out. You know, I got I got to admit also my ex-husband, not my current one, my ex-husband was a gunny in the Marine Corps. So, uh I, I know I I know what it's like to be married to the military. In matter of fact, I had even gone so far where um uh Raymond Kelly uh uh was the commander of the base at the time. He later on became the drug czar underneath um Bush and then later on, the police commissioner for New York City. But under him, I served, <laughs> i got to say, somewhat in a way, in the, the Marine Corps as a bartender in the NCO club. And then later on, when he became police commissioner in New York City, I served under him a second time as a cop. So, I mean, wow. I'm tied to the military. I, I actually live in the heart of the Tri-Command. I've got Paris Island in one direction a couple of miles. I've got the Marine Corps Air air base in the other direction and i've got the naval hospital over here in port royal so i'm in the heart of the tri-command you can't get away yeah, from that. Yeah. that is awesome but you know yeah it, you are a, a very um i'm trying to think of the word i want to use uh, a very driven uh individual a very um i i i, I i'm at a loss no, no, no. Uh, my husband's trying to help me with also a versatile individual. I mean, football, racing, the the, the military, uh, and you do work for charities. You have your own business. Um, you host racing events. What don't you do, Jesse? What is it that you don't <laughs> do? Do you cook? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, for, you know, with everything I'm doing, um, you know, for me, I'm I'm a big uh, believer in, you know, following your passions, following your goals, no matter what. Like, if you can think of it, if you can see it in your mind and you have a vision, just go after it. So I just never tell myself to stop. You know, I, like, if I see something and I like it and I want to do it or I want to achieve it um, and put it into play, I go make it happen. Um, and, you know, the more – a lot of us sometimes like to make excuses for ourselves on why we can't do something, but for me – always try to make an excuse on why I can, you know, if I look at something and it looks a little difficult, well, I'm like, well, why can't I do it? Right. Not why can't I do it? Like what's stopping me? No. What, what, what can I do to make it happen? Like, what do I need? What do I need to go find? What do I need to go do? Okay. This is what I need to go find and do. Okay. I'm going to go do that. And the whole time is just putting that positive message in my head on like, I'm going to go do it. I'm going like, there is no, no, there isn't any can't, there is not, oh, like I don't have enough or uh, I'm not, I, I don't, ever try to approach things at, from a position of lack. I try to approach everything from a position of strength. Well, you know, it's funny because God bless my husband. I love him. He's right now my co-host. But when we put together things to do, um, he will sit there and try to think everything out and find out, you know, oh, I can't do this because I need that. I can't do that because I need this. I always say you place one foot in front of the other and take the next step and then look at what the obstacle you have in front of you and look at how you can overcome it. And I think you basically do the same thing, don't you? 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I do. I mean, I see the obstacle, and there's just no obstacle that you can't, you know, can't, I guess you can't get, go through. I mean, you, everything can can be destroyed. Everything can be uh, built back up. If there's a wall, I'm going to find a way to go over it, under it, around it, or right through it. Um, and, and each way has its own pains. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, each way has its own pain. Going through a wall is going to hurt. But guess what? I'm still going to get through it. It's not impenetrable. There is no impenetrable wall in the entire earth. On this earth that we live in, there's not a single impenetrable object. Everything has a way to be penetrated. Some things take a little bit longer than others, but everything can be penetrated. Um, and, and because of that, then what, what's going to stop us? Jesse, were you always like that, or did the Navy have a whole lot to do with it? Um, I would say I developed this mindset um, – I, I, I subconsciously developed this mindset in ninth grade. Um, that's when I first developed the mindset. But I didn't realize what I was developing at that time. I didn't fully understand the power of human beings in our minds and what they can do. I didn't understand it then. But I, I basically um, uh, had a proof of concept. That was like, I would say the first time in my life I had a proof of concept of how this whole thing works. And then uh, fast forward, um, da, 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 fast forward about, 14, 15 years after, um, I basically, you know, that's when I was getting into NASCAR. And I, uh, at that point, that's when I basically had another proof of concept of this whole thing. And that's when I really started understanding, hey, like what happened before, especially kind of law of attraction, law of vibration, like all these things coming together, like that's what happened before. And I really realized, hey, our minds are ridiculously powerful. Like if you can envision something, that means it's possible. Like, like there was a time, you know, uh, I would say 100 and what, 120, 130, 140 years ago, where it seemed like flying was impossible. But somebody in their mind was like, hey, I envision having this thing called an aircraft that we can actually be in as passengers and actually lift up in the air and fly this metal object through the air for extended periods of time. And everybody else in the world, think about it, about 120, 130 years ago, you would have thought, this guy's insane. What are you talking about? How are you going to put a metal object in the air and it's actually going to fly for long periods? Like, that, that's just, that sounds crazy. How does that even happen? But then somebody envisioned it. They saw it. And they're like, look, like, we, let's just conquer the different laws of this whole thing and then we'll make it happen. I can see it. If you can see it, believe it, you'll achieve it. And that's what happened. So when I figured this out, um, about, yeah, about five, six years ago, again, and actually understood what was going on, then I started applying this concept to everything. And that's why whatever I get into, I'm going to go find a way to make it happen and achieve it and succeed at it, no matter what it takes. Boy, I can tell you that you're going to be good on the track. <laughs> <laughs> he is good on the track. <laughs> he is good on the track and off the track. But, you know, I, when I was doing my research and pulling up your, your, your background, um, I think before the age of nine, you already had this mindset. It was just a matter of you recognizing it because you were a runt. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it flat out. You were a runt, but you decided you wanted to play football, and you were willing to put the work in. That's the problem we see with a lot of youth today. They're not willing to put the work in. It's you owe me, give me, give me, give me, but you recognize no one asked to be placed on this earth. No one asked to be placed in the skin that we are in or the gender where we're in, but we're given by God a set of circumstances and it's how you deal with it is how you prove yourself as a person. And you've done that over and over again, willing to do the hard work to a 
achieve your goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what I like to tell people, and I actually wrote a post on this on Twitter yesterday. Um, when it comes to life, life is a card game. That's all life is. It's just a card game. All of us are sitting at a table, and we're all dealt a certain hand. And the hand that we're dealt with, like, the cards are the cards. I mean, that's what it is. There's only a certain amount of sets of cards, and that's what it is. Like, that is life. There's only a certain amount of ways life can go. Like, it's it. There's a beginning and there's an end. And, and, in, and in between, there's exchange of different cards, and there's a game being played during that entire thing you know, before the, between the start and the end. But with all of us being dealt a certain hand, some people will start off with a little bit of advantage. Some might have an ace. Some might have this. They might have that. Their hand just might be better than yours to start with. And guess what? That's okay. That's what a card game is. Not everyone's dealt the same exact hand. Your hand you might be dealt with might be really sucky. You might have the worst set of cards ever to start off with. But you know what? Nothing in that card game says that if you're dealt this hand to start with, you automatically lose. Nothing says that. Everything says that no matter what hand you are, we all have a chance to win. Some will have an advantage, some won't. But guess what? You can all win. But now it's on you to see how much you're willing to finesse the rest of the game to, to get the, the, the cards that you want and eventually try to win that game. And, and that's what people don't understand. They think that you're all supposed to be given the same amount of cards. If I open up a card deck, guess what? There's not just all aces in there or, you know, whatever best cards. There's, a, there's just different cards. That's what it is. That's life. <laughs> well, you know, what also I find, you know, wonderful about you is that you're willing to strive, but you know that at times you're going to fall down. There's going to be a little bit of a failure, but you have to be willing to pick yourself back up and try again. This is one that is so unique about America and American values. Yes. You have the chance to pursue your happiness. But if you fall down, we also give you the opportunity to pick yourself back up and try and try and try again until you do reach your goal that you want. Exactly, exactly. And that's the land of opportunity. That's why my parents um, decided to go from Nigeria to here. They came over here because they knew this was a land of opportunity. They knew that no matter what, you sh- we should all be able to succeed in this country. My parents came over here with barely anything. My dad came over here with like $200 in his pocket. Um, his first experience in, um, in America was coming to New York and um, flying in. And when he fl- first flew in, he ended up um, uh, going to a taxi. And the, and, the, and the taxi driver uh, ends up um, the taxi driver ends up taking pretty, pretty much all of his money, and uh, he didn't have much left right after that. So because of that, um, all of a sudden that was his first experience here. But he decided that's not going to define everything about him. That's not going to be his life. He's not going to you know be jaded because of that. He's still going to do what he needs to do to succeed in this world. He eventually settles in Texas and gets his education there, goes back, marries my mom, brings her back here to um, the, the States and decides, hey, we're going to take advantage of all the opportunities here and, and make great things happen. You know, I, I got a question for my husband. Do you remember your flight here to the United States? Oh, sorry. he was only two years old when he came here. But I'm only second generation, so we're all children of, of immigrants. Actually, my husband is an immigrant. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, this, there's such hope and possibility here in this nation, and yet we see people trying to tear it down. And when I see you out there with NASCAR, I see what is great 
what is great about this country. And you personify that as a representative of the military as well as a representative of NASCAR. But you also did something um, earlier this week that was absolutely wonderful. Uh, there was a Air Force uh, uh, veteran, disabled, that you had a special interaction with on Veterans Day. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. Um, her name is Kara, and um, she uh, she's a disabled veteran. Um, you know, she's paralyzed, I believe, from the waist down. Um, she's in a wheelchair, um, but uh, she served in she served in the Air Force. Um, and yeah, uh, she entered into this um, um, uh, into the Driven to Drive program for a True Car Military, and and that's where they give away a vehicle to disabled to, to disabled veterans each year and uh with what she does you know doing a lot of off-road stuff and using off-roading to help other veterans um you know they decided that this uh chevy vr2 truck was like the perfect um fit for her and she ended up um, being the recipient of this year's competition and she didn't know um you know that she was going to win she didn't know that she was going to get this truck until we showed up at her door and we're like hey you're the recipient this year that this is your brand new truck and it's such a cool experience for her because she um, you know, this is something that has helped, this is going to help change her life, you know, and not saying her life was going bad or anything, but like, you know, anytime you can get a vehicle, um, it's, it's all, it's huge, especially one that's going to help her with what she's doing and her mission to help other veterans. So really cool experience and emotional one for her too. Well, you do a lot of good work, uh, with charity. One of them, you partnered, I believe with Emmett Smith, the notable line platform where you can now get celebrities or sports figures to interact with the fans out there on a very intimate level. Yes. Um, so with Notable Live, um, it's a great platform, kind of similar to, you know, all these different virtual platforms you have now. You, know, you have Zoom and all the other stuff. And what um, Notable Live does is Notable Live pretty much gives influencers the opportunity to have live events virtually and be able to have a crowd of people on there watching and listening, but also be able to bring up fans from the audience into the um, event, I would say, in a way where they can actually speak to and you can have a platform to talk with them and be side-by-side with them on there. It's just a really cool platform and a way to do it. Um, Emmett Smith is a co-owner in that, in that um, in Notable Live, and I've recently become a partner in there too. And uh, being able to link up with him on the NASCAR side of things was pretty cool to have such a big name from the NFL, be able to be part of what we're doing uh, in NASCAR. So that, that was super cool. So, uh, yeah, uh, the last few weeks have been really exciting um, in my world. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to tell you, when um, I had contacted your agent to get you on here, you know, um, what prompted me was that you did something very, very special for Private Aaron S. Toppin's mom. Um, you had a dedication to uh, Private Toppin on your car hood, and you presented her after the race, the car hood. But I got to tell you, when I started off the show, and we do this on every single show, you know, I'm retired NYPD, so honoring the fallen, whether they're military or a first responder, or even a very special citizen that has done something for our nation, we always start the show with a dedication. So when he was uh, killed, unfortunately, by friendly fire back in 2004, there were four others. So to the five that fell, Army Staff Sergeant Jason A. McDonald, Staff Sergeant Scott.
Scott Studemund, Specialist Jason Helton, uh, Corporal Justin uh, Kloss, and Private Aaron S. Tipton. We dedicated this show to it. So I wanted to let you know that that is how we started our show. That is super awesome, and I'm glad that y'all were able to do that. Yes, Aaron Toppin and um, what we were able to do for him and his mom, his family, and friends, um, it was super cool uh, being able to have him on the race vehicle at Chicago Land Speedway and, uh, you know, just being able to see the, um, you know, excitement and emotions and happiness and everything from uh, his mom. Uh, that was super cool. So uh, Pam Toppin, his mom, uh, she's such a great lady, and she's trying to do a lot um, herself to help continue to, um, you know, spread the message of love out there and connect people and 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 um, really continue to make sure that Aaron's name lives on um, forever. So, um, you know, that it's just a lot of cool stuff going on over there. What you do is absolutely fantastic work. And what, what I found uh, when I was doing my little background on you, and I was, I'm, I'm one of those that I can get a little anal retentive at times. <laughs> but uh, I, I understand some of the stuff that you were talking about in some of your previous interviews where you talked about teamwork. And you learned a lot about teamwork, you know, playing football, uh, first for your high school and then for the Navy, uh, you actually got recruited for on the Navy uh, team, uh, and then you then go into the military and you learn a lot more about teamwork. But there was a little bit of a shift in your mindset, as I understand it, uh, understanding the the ability to communicate and teamwork when you shifted from the military mindset to NASCAR, and NASCAR is all about communication and teamwork. How did that help you in the military? Yeah, um, teamwork is huge. Communication is huge. Um, one thing we learn in the military is, you know, when anything is going on, the first thing you want to do is establish communication. On any team period, communication is a biggest part of success. So for me, um, racing and, and that, um, you know, I had to learn how the communication flows between our spotters to me and me, um, you know, the team and I, like everyone, that communication is a really big part. Like I, I have to be able to communicate what the car is doing to our crew chief. Our crew chief has to be able to communicate what he, what the adjustments he's making uh, to me. Um, our, our spotter has to be able to communicate to me what's going on on the track, how my line is, how can I drive a little bit better, you know, all these different things. Communication is such a big part of it. So I learned a lot of it, and I learned how important it was in the military and been able to translate it now. To, um, what I'm doing in NASCAR and, and, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, communication, teamwork, all that stuff is very, very important. Well, you know, um, Chase Elliott had taken the, the cup this year. Um, I actually had a, a honor of meeting um, Bill Elliott, uh, Kyle Petty, Jimmy Spencer, and uh, who was the other one? Sterling Marlin. Oh, Sterling Marlin. Because... Um, uh, uh, Bill Elliott comes over because I'm I'm in South Carolina, so he goes over to Oglethorpe Speedway, which is just outside of Savannah, and does a charity event just about every year. So we liked going down there. Uh, but Chase Elliott is like the new face of NASCAR, and for a while NASCAR had a bunch of old guys in there. It's like, all right, fine guys, you know, is there going to be anything different? Uh, but he brought a fresh flavor to uh, NASCAR and. I've been a racing fan ever since I was probably about <laughs> a year old. Um, and actually, my husband raced at uh, Islip Speedway here on Long Island 
uh, where we used to have NASCAR races. Do you see a new movement in NASCAR? Do you see a new awakening in, in it? Um, I wouldn't say I see a new awakening. I mean, yeah, there's some younger faces now getting in and stuff, um, which chase winning. Um, that that's great. Um, but uh, you know, I wouldn't say I see a new full movement. I know just like a year or two ago, they're really trying to push the whole youth movement thing. Um, but at the end of the day, these guys who are driving, like the older guys, you know, who are later thirties or early forties, they're they're good. They're really really good. And and and, and the thing is. They're good. This is this is a crazy thing. Like I know in most sports, youth, you know, is huge. I mean, being young helps so much in most sports. But racing is a sport where it, to me, it doesn't matter. Um, you can be 50 years old and a phenomenal driver. Um, it, it just it just doesn't matter. Like the youth side of it makes you, I would say, a little bit more courageous on pulling certain moves without understanding the consequences. Um, but when you're a little bit older, you're a bit more wise. And you know how to truly uh, make wise decisions. You know, maybe the wise decision ends up giving you only a, a fifth place finish when you could have taken a move that could have potentially made you maybe end up winning the race. But you calculated it right and you knew, hey, it's all about getting to the end. It's all about collecting all the points we can collect. It's all about making sure that we put ourselves in position to win the ultimate prize of the championship. Winning races is, is cool and it's fun. But something that's even better is winning championships. So, um, you know, I would say the uh, the older guys, um, they're good. I mean, that the age age is nothing but a number in in racing. Well, Virginia Hamlin, right? You want to cross, Yanni? Oh, uh, I was talking about Denny Hamlin. Well, Denny yeah, Hamlin uh, is a very talented driver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, yeah, he's, 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 yeah, he's talented. Uh, Denny, Denny's very, very talented. Um, you know, eventually he'll win a championship here. And, and it, it's, you know, it, I thought this year could have been his year. And then Kevin Harvick was having an amazing year. And I was like, man, maybe it's Kevin's year. Um, it, it's, I mean, Kevin won like nine races this year. It's crazy. Um, and didn't win the championship. So, um, you know, it's just, that's how racing is. With the playoff format, with how racing is, it's just tough. It's, it's so tough to even win a race, let alone win a championship. It's just really, really tough. It's, it's just like it, it's like musical chairs. It's like whoever, you know, some people just get the short end of the stick at the end of the music. Well, we yeah. always we, we love Happy, well, Happy Harvick. We love Happy. Uh, I grew up in the uh, the old format, so um, you know, it took me a while to get used to the stage uh, racing and all that. Well, how do you like the stage racing? Um, I think it's great. Um, having a little re- having at least you know a few resets confirmed pretty much during the, the race, I think it's great. I think having a race that just kind of goes green forever and ever and ever, it kind of gets boring because it's not like everyone's together the whole time at like a Daytona or something, you know, or Talladega Super Speedway. It's different, but at these mile and a half tracks, I mean, if you just have these things go on for hundreds of laps, it's just like I don't know how that's exciting. You know, um, but whereas all these stages, like having a reset where you bring everyone back together, I think that's fun because it's a change of pace. Things can happen. Positions can change so much. You get these three wide scenarios, four wide scenarios. People are battling. You know, it's just so much happening. Like, I think it's I think it's great. And um, also for the drivers, it's a nice little reset for us to kind of catch our breath, you know, grab a swig of water and, um, you know, keep going. I feel like um, – NASCAR's not meant. I don't think NASCAR's really meant to be an endurance 
racing sport, even though it is partly endurance, but um, like we should not make it an endurance racing. If we want to go endurance racing, we'll go to sports cars. Like it's, I think it should be closer to more of a sprint than anything. Well, how about the uh, when you pick a lane? Do you like that one? What what do you mean by that? Yeah, pick a lane. So right before the um, restart, when we have one lap to go, um, NASCAR allows us to pick a lane now. So before you have to get lined up in your position, like if you were starting third, you got to get lined up in that third position part, like spot. Whereas now they do the pick a lane where you could be, you know, in third, I guess, um, right before the, um, you know, the last lap before they go green flag. But then when you pick a lane, if you pick, the bottom lane, you could be end up, you could end up, uh, you know, in I don't know, whatever. Like third's not a good example of that, but let's say you're uh, like you're back. Like let's say you're tenth or something. When you pick a lane, if everyone in front of you decided to pick uh, the top lane and you decide to pick the bottom lane, well, you could end up in third to to, to start the race off. You know, just because everyone picked the top lane and you decide to pick the bottom lane, so um, yep. it, it, it makes things a little bit more interesting. And, yeah, and, and picking your drafting partner, or you end up in the middle lane and you're, you're sent no, all the no. way to the back. <laughs> I was just like, why are you going to go in the middle? You know, you can end up in 35th if you go there. You know, but I, I, I have, I have to laugh because um, my mom uh, is staying with us. Uh, she's 88, and she stole my Archie Bunker chair. Um, but she'll watch the race with us, and I'll be watching it i'm going i'm watching them go three four five wide and i'm going oh no give it two more laps and there's going to be a major wreck and i always predict it right and it, it, it you, you can see it on the screen but you're there in the seat you can't see it so you rely on your spotter and what what happened what do you what goes through your head when you see this tremendous thing happening right in front of you and you go oh please lord not let me in it yeah, pretty much that's exactly what's going on in my mind. Um, yeah, you know, when wrecks are happening, you just got to be smart, understand um, momentum, understand, okay, if someone spins here, where's the momentum going to take them? If someone spins here, where is that going to take them? If they get hit at this part of their vehicle, where is that going to take them? If they bounce off the wall, at, depending on what angle they hit the wall, where is that going to take them? So you have to understand momentum and how things refract um, off of uh, different um, uh, um uh, uh, barriers and stuff, and then from there you kind of understand. Okay, this is where I need to go so I can keep myself from wrecking. Well, actually, NASCAR racing or any racing is more of a head game that people realize. Jesse, thank you for being with us. We've got to get you to come back on. There's so much fun stuff to talk with you on. People can find you at your website, which is your name, jesseewg.com. And thank you, sir, for serving this nation. Uh, and thank you for everything you do for charity and for our veterans. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, yeah, people can head on to my website or just look up my name on all social media platforms. If you can't figure out how to say my name or, or spell my name, just go on to Google. Type in Navy NASCAR driver. <laughs> I should be the only one that pops up. <laughs> yeah, and you're all over the Internet. There's a lot of articles up there on you, Jesse. God bless you, sir. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
All right. Check it out. Jesse Iwiji. There's a link on our show description. So just click on that so that you can get him uh, and find out more about him and the great things he does. We've got our next victim up in the batting box uh, who was supposed to have been with us last week, but I'll chastise him later. (laughs) We want to welcome from the Huey Report, Craig Huey. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you? Very good. How are you doing? Oh, it's Friday the 13th. <laughs> That's right. But it's a good Friday the 13th, and I'm glad to be with you. Well, you know, I I, I, I got to tell you, um, when I do my notes and everything, normally I have like one or two words uh, on the individual, and then I just let it roll. And you're one of these people that I think I can just let it roll. But you also have a book at, which I want to help you talk, which is the Christian Voter, seven non-negotiable, I can't even say the word, negotiable, <laughs> thank you, uh, for voting for, not against, your values. What a book to come out in what an election season. Oh, my goodness. Well, I know. I brought this book out because we wanted to really impact this election that just happened. And, uh, and and we may want to get into why, but because the the Christian vote was so significant and so important in this election, and as we're waiting to see what these results are, uh, really, it's the uh, Christian vote that really tipped either for or against President Trump, and uh, it's uh, it's a huge voting block. And uh, when we when we talk about what's going on. You know, it's disturbing but predictable. This election was all about uh, who could better organize and mobilize the voters. And uh, putting uh, potential voter fraud aside, um, uh, one of the big issues in this election, both for President Trump and Joe Biden, was how to motivate the Christian vote. Joe Biden spent over $30 million either to keep Christians from voting or to switch them to vote for him. And President Trump, he's in office today because of the Christian vote in 2016 and the, the evangelical born-again Christians and conservative Catholics, they've been the core of his, uh, of his audience uh, from the beginning. Well, you know, the record number of Catholics came out and voted, and that's unusual. Um, but, you know, we're seeing all the shenanigans going, with the recounts and everything. Um, yes. And I, I, I normally keep a running tally to see what's going on, and it changes daily. Right now, yes. it looks like just may keep the Senate and possibly get a, a good large segment of the House, more than we've had since World War II. It's pretty exciting with the House because I know some of the people who got elected, and I know that uh, many of these people are are, uh, men and women who have a strong belief in free enterprise. Uh, They understand uh, the danger of big government and interference in the economy, and they're also people of faith. And uh, and now this campaign in the Senate – it's really the, one of the most crucial Senate uh, campaigns ever. You got two people running, two Republicans and two Democrats, two uh, 
two people who, uh, from a Christian worldview, uh, align with it, and from uh, and two candidates from a Christian worldview uh, are on the opposite side, and you have two uh, candidates that are uh, for uh, freedom and less government, and two for bigger government and socialism. So it, it, it's really a contrast that's very clear. And again, this is going to go down to uh, who can mobilize. Um, more more money is going to be poured into the Senate race than you can imagine. Uh, and, and the organization of people coming in with an army of, uh, of, of campaign workers to get out the vote and the uh, amount of uh, advertising and micro-targeting of an audience is going to be huge. And so, Anne, you're going to see drama before us as this uh, early January election comes up. And all eyes are going to be on Georgia with this recount to make sure that the election is going to be fair. Yeah, well, it's, it's just over the border from where I live. I'm just north of Savannah, Georgia. Uh, and we've had uh, a Loeffler on the show before. Um, and I, unfortunately, I was sad to see uh, Doug Collins challenge her in that race. The votes she needed to win, he he uh, bled off of her. But now you've got the runoff coming up uh, in January. And Georgia has this weird law that you can move into the state, and the same day you move in, you can vote. So now we've got yep. someone like Tom Friedman from the New York Times publicly telling people to move down to Georgia to vote and then leave. He's openly telling them to commit voter fraud. This is what we're against. So we don't know in this presidential race what the extent of voter fraud there was. And we can talk about some of the voter fraud because – um, uh, of ballot harvesting because of uh, clean versus dirty voter rolls, a variety of things. Some of those issues are not going to be resolved, and, and they're going to impact this upcoming uh, Senate race. Uh, but um, uh, with the people moving in, you're going to have activists uh, listening to that, moving down there, and people would say, well, you know, you're probably only talking about a few hundred people, maybe a thousand people at most. Well, in, in a race like this, this election could be won by 50, 100, 200, 500 votes. Yeah, it is that close and that, that, that bad. When you have someone like Warnick, who is a Jeremiah Wright apostle, there's no other way to describe him. Uh, Pro Castro, actually posted in, in his, his church. The guy is the worst Democrat ever seen. You can really call him a Democrat, more like a communist. And this is what she's up against, and she's running now neck and neck with this guy. Now you have someone like Tom Friedman, uh, like Yang, saying he's going to move down here, he's encouraging others to move down here just to vote. And then leave, go back home. I yeah, mean, that's not epitome of corruption. I don't know what is. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, what. What is even more corrupt is this. Let's say they're able to get a thousand, two thousand people to move down there. Those people aren't going to move down there to get a job. 
They're going to move down there to go door to door. They're going to use the advanced data that the Democrats have of who the persuadables are, who the, who the uh, people are that are likely to vote for the Democrat candidate. And they're going to have a division that's going to be going to churches and to Christians to uh, sway the vote. They'll have a, uh, a division that is based upon how do we suppress the Republican vote? How do we persuade them not to, to go to the poll? Um, they're going to do this very scientifically. They're going to do it with lots of money, and they're going to do it with great organization. And, and because politics is their religion, and because their belief is whatever it takes to win, we will do, the potential for more fraud, the potential for uh, 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 people who are in nursing homes voting and not even know who they're voting for, the potential of people who uh, are uh, um, not in their homes, people who are in apartments, all of a sudden uh, their ballots are taken and, uh, uh, and uh, somebody else is casting their vote. All this potential voter fraud is, is likely to happen when you have an army of activists who are trained to be able to transform culture and politics through the election box. You know, um, I, I have a couple of secret emails I use to, to find out what the other side is doing. Right. Hey, guys, try to find it. Uh, so I occasionally get these emails, and one of the things I got the day after the election was from the Georgia Democratic Party. And they were calling people to do an online training to teach people how to go to knock on doors to help people procure their ballot. Yes. And so, the day after election. And they were going to do it for the following three days. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is so illegal. I shot yes. a copy of that email and message to uh, Rona McDaniels. I sent it to our chair, Drew McKissick. I sent it to the uh, Georgia Republican Party. I sent it to anyone and everyone. Let's go. This is what they've only got in place. That's exactly right, and they're well-trained on it. They have schools. They have training. They have online courses. They have how to be able to maximize that voter turnout. You know, here, here, here's the sad thing. Uh, we know that for most Republicans, um, it, it's very probable that uh, 20 to 30 percent, maybe 40 percent of the Republicans aren't going to get out the vote unless they have somebody knocking on the door, unless they have somebody holding their hand, taking them to the poll, or helping them fill out their, their absentee ballot. We know that people who are people of faith, for example, the evangelical Christians, we know that some uh, 60 to 70 percent uh, of them will not vote in this Georgia election. Now, they would vote 81 percent conservative if they voted, but they're not going to vote. And, uh, and, 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 and like, like in the uh, abortions on the issue, uh, one, one of the issues on the ballot because of these candidates, so is the persecuted church, so is religious freedom, so is uh, so many different issues that are of concern to Christians, the, the issue of Israel. The, this is a, you know, a great concern to Christians, but 
their pastors, their church leaders themselves, they're not going to go to the poll unless somebody says, hey, I need to be able to make sure you vote. Will you come with me? I need to help you fill out this ballot. Will you let me help you? We need to get this vote-by-mail ballot mailed in, and I'll make sure it happens, and I'll help you do it. So, So the opposition... The, the, the radical left, the pro-socialists, the ones who want to control every aspect of our lives from economically and socially, they're the ones who have trained to be able to know who to go to. They won't go to a Republican household. Um, I, I've got a, uh, a, uh, uh, a videotape of somebody who's gone to a house seven different times in the Republican parents answer the door, but they want to talk to the independent uh, registered voter who's the uh, 20-some-year-old who they think is going to vote Democrat. And they they, they won't talk to the Republican parents. They just are persistent because it's on their data list. They've got to get this person's vote out. Um, They've got uh, strategies, Ann. They learned that they can increase the percent of turnout by little tiny tricks. For example, if I knocked on the door and I said, hi, Ann, um, I, I see here on the data that I have on you that you're really concerned about health care. And I see that you're, uh, you, 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 that's your number one issue. And I've got to tell you, that's why you've got to vote for my candidate. Can I count on your vote? Uh, 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 yes, you can. Okay, great. The election's in three days. Do you need a ride to the poll? No, no, I don't, I don't need a ride to the poll. Well, then, I'll tell you what. The day after the election, I'm going to knock on the door and see how it all went. And when they hear the words, I'm going to knock on your door after election, it motivates them to make sure they get out the vote. This is an army uh, that's trained in strategy and tactics that the Republicans don't have but the Democrats do have, and they got an infrastructure of that that they've developed uh, since Obama. Well, you know, I, I'm seeing, especially in the state I'm in, former New Yorker, because you can tell from my dialect, New Yorker, you can take the top out of Brooklyn, but you can't take Brooklyn out of the top. Um, <laughs> I'm here in the South, but in here in South Carolina, we finally have a chair that is organized our GOP. Ruby Kissick is a great guy, a friend of mine. And our county chair over here, uh, Kevin Henry, they organized us so well that in my county alone, 75% of registered Republicans voted. So I think starting to get the message and learning the tactics, I had people knock on my door, and each that knocked on my door was looking for the Republican vote, not the Democratic vote. I had yeah. three phone calls. From Democrats, the rest of them are all Republicans. See, that's so, fantastic. You know, I, I am so encouraged to hear up. that. Yep, I'm so encouraged. And they do need to wake up. You know, one of the problems has been with what we call uh, Republican consultants. These are the ones who help candidates run for office, and usually they're stuck in the old ways. They don't understand modern marketing, they don't understand modern technology. You, they're usually uh, love to compromise on key core principles, and they have been the ones who have been running candidates, and 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 
the Democrats have learned just the opposite. Get somebody who understands new technology and new media. Get somebody who understands how to mobilize people. And, and we're, we're going to fight for what we believe, and we're going to win. And, and that's the attitude that the conservatives, the Christians, the libertarians, the, uh, the, the people who believe in freedom need to have as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because just before the election, we had two rallies back-to-back on Saturday. And um, I had the pleasure of speaking at one of them, uh, at both of them, actually. And I riled up the crowd after I did the Pledge of Allegiance with them. I said, this election, we're going to have, I said, a ballot box revolution. And I had the crowd chanting, ballot box revolution. We had that. But we also had cheating, and we see yeah. nonstop. We recently had election uh, seats turned over in Connecticut, Michigan, because they went back, and they said, "Oh, we had a glitch in the computer." So those seats that were given to Democrats have now been awarded to Republicans in Michigan and Connecticut. Well, I think there's going to be a lot more, and I honestly think, with all said and done, President Trump will have a second term. You gotta remember, uh, uh, Craig, that Bush v. Gore, Gore was pronounced by the media as president-elect for about three days before he was Now, yeah, and, 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 and you're 100% right. This election is going to have to start seeing, um, uh, re, you know, in, in mid-December, the electoral uh, college will meet. And that's when they're supposed to make the decision. And right now we're in a period of verifying what is true and what is not true in regards to voter fraud and this election. And the amount of evidence of voter fraud that probably could swing the election to President Trump and away from Joe Biden is huge. The problem is it takes time. And whether President Trump is able to prevail or not, He has to continue on with this because we have to prove the voter fraud. And there's different types of voter fraud. The the recount that's going on in Georgia right now and the recount that will be going on in Wisconsin and these other states, that might discover some voter fraud. You know, and the, 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 the problem is voter fraud is more than just uh, some inaccuracies. Uh, it takes some digging. Let me give you an example. When I was writing a, a, a one of my books, the book called The Deep State, I have a chapter in there on voter fraud. And in, in my book on the deep state, I had um, uh, uh, someone who was helping me on the book uh, contact the voter registration office to get a vote-by-mail ballot. And we wanted to see the, what the process was. And you know, Ann, she registered her dog to vote. And she, she registered the dog at the office address. No uh, state in the union are you supposed to be registered at an office address. So there were two things wrong with that ballot. Um, I got that ballot in 2018. I got the ballot in the primary of 2020. I got the ballot uh, in the November election, and uh, I could have sent that ballot in, and the dog could have voted, and, you know, they would have counted that vote, 
in a, in a recount issue situation, they would never know that that was a fraudulent vote, but it would have been. And um, that, that's where trying to investigate this is so difficult. Uh, there was a – in Texas, they just discovered – uh, a, a, a home that has um, mentally uh, impaired and physically impaired people and, and, and kind of a nursing home situation where one person took it upon themselves to register these people and vote for these people without their consent or knowledge. And they've got caught. Well, to catch that type of fraud is not easy to do uh, because when no. you get those ballots, it's a real person. Um, and, and so... You know, if somebody is stupid enough to have the same ink and the same handwriting, maybe somebody would notice it, maybe not. But usually they're smart enough to make it far more uh, confusing. And then there's the whole issue of the glitches in the, in the software system and the manipulation uh, of those. Uh, and, and there's a whole issue of did anything go to the cloud and the manipulation uh, by some big tech people in the cloud, those type of investigations may take a couple of years of a forensic uh, 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 type uh, in investigation. And so uh, uh, this is going to be long-term. I, I hope the short-term, consequ- uh, short-term results are going to be flipping enough votes that President Trump will be having a second term. But if that does not happen, we have to continue because – and can you imagine here we have a democratic republic and the bedrock of that democratic republic is to trust the votes. It's to trust the election process. You can't have half the population wondering if the, the vote this time and next time is going to be filled with fraud and cheating. And, and you've you got to believe in a legitimate, transparent vote that it's going to be something that you can count on. And across the world. People have looked at our country and seen our ability to vote and have peaceful transitions of power and that we represent people in, a, in, in our republic in a, in, a, in a way that we've been proud of and people admire. Well, now we look like a banana republic. It, it almost looked like Venezuela, a, a vote coming out of Cuba because can we trust it? We've got people who are absolutely convinced we can't trust it with good reason, and that's where we have to really nail this thing down, discover what's right, discover what's wrong. People right now are, are a lot of witnesses, and we know from the Kavanaugh hearing and other things, you can have false witnesses. But these people are signing affidavits. These people are under perjury. These people sometimes have... Uh, video and pictures to confirm what they're saying. Uh, and it's more than a couple of people. We've got hundreds and hundreds of people who are saying they've witnessed things that are not right. And, and these are all going to be uh, 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 under uh, lawyer scrutiny. They're all going to be investigated, and they're going to be something that goes to a judge. And, uh, and that judge, then we've got a problem. You know, uh, um, one of the problems we have in America is the deep state government uh, uh, employees, the ones who are in there, and they're, they're, they're bureaucrats, they're government employees that want to use the power of government 
to be able to achieve their political goals. Um, bureaucrats always want to protect their, their turf. They want to grow more money and grow more power. But now we have ideological uh, people in charge of the elections, uh, and we have them uh, in the county level. We have them on the state level, and then we have the judges. We have so many Obama-appointed judges that don't care about law. They care about making legislation from the bench. And these judges are going to be some that are looking at this, and we can expect some of these judges to throw it out. And we're seeing uh, uh, secretaries of state who are in charge of the elections and local elected county officials in charge of the elections trying to stop investigations, trying to hide things. This is not right, but this is going on. And, and that's why we've got to get to the bottom of this. We've got to have clarity, and we've got to make sure that this, this investigation goes on until everything's uh, been finalized uh, as to what is true and what is false. Now, it's going to be a long process, and I can see ramifications going on for years. On yes. This, you know, what happened, it's snowballed. I, my mom, God bless her, 88 years old, she goes, what happened to the old machines? We could walk in, through the lever, turn the clothes, flip the switches, and they gave you a card, and that was it. But yep. now with the new technology, the more we get advanced in technology, the more we're open for fraud. That's correct. That's correct. It's, it's, a, it's a sad commentary because it goes back to the evil in men's heart that if they can figure out a way to cheat, they will. You know, if somebody can figure out a way to rob a bank, they're going to figure out how to rob a bank. And whether they use technology or an old-fashioned uh, system uh, to, to do so, they will try to figure it out. Uh, that, 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 that's the sad part of human nature. And unfortunately, politics is the same thing. There are people, they don't have ethics, they don't have a system of right and wrong, their right and wrong is how do I accomplish a victory? And, and they'll do whatever it takes to be able to win. Well, you know, Craig, people can find you at the Huey Report. And there's a link on the show page so people can have on it. Uh, I watch you on Newsmax. I, we turned Fox News off. Uh, we turned Chris Wallace off years ago. But we love watching you over at Newsmax, and yep. you do a great job, sir. Thank you, and God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. And we'll have you on again, definitely. Great. Thanks. All right. All right. Check out Craig Huey, the Huey Report. There's a link on the show page. And we've got our fourth victim up in the battering box. And I wanted to mention to him about uh, Scott Bayo, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw this past our next guest anyway. Uh, <laughs> he is a country rock artist, Dustin Collins. Good afternoon, Dustin. How are you today? How are you? I, I'm doing great. Oh, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. It is a crazy world out there. Um, but uh, I was glad to find uh, your album and have your agent get a hold of me. Uh, and I love, I love the sounds. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, we uh, just uh, released a new one, and, and uh, appreciate you having me on your show today. 
Well, you know, not a lot of artists want to take a political stand, and you take one of pure patriotism. And you, when you, I listen to your songs, you're talking from the average everyday man. Uh, everyone wants to go out to the mass market, you know, make all those millions, but you understand the heart of America. Uh, I mean, that's, that's where I grew up and uh, who I am as a person. And, uh, you know, everything I do in music, I try to make a reflection of myself uh, in whatever I write and whatever I put out. And it's real important to me in music to be able to, to you know, go out and not, not necessarily say I'm a political artist, uh, other than that's what I was writing that day and that's kind of how I was feeling. And, uh, you know, I, I, I try to stay true to who I am and where I'm from as much as I possibly can. Well, you know, tell our audience who you are and what you, what you, what you, um, oh God, my mind just had a major brain fart. <laughs> Forgive me. It's old age. <laughs> um, but you know, you come from a music family. Yeah, I sure do. My mom and my dad uh, and my uncles all are musicians and all, uh, they've played, I, I, you know, I grew up in central Kentucky, uh, a lot of bluegrass, uh, a lot of, a lot of picking festivals, a lot of, you know, a lot of back porch picking and, you know, there's a lot, a lot of music, um, through, through Kentucky and Appalachia. It's a real important part of, you know, who we are as people. It's Friday night, you know, go to the campfire and pick some, you know, guitars and, uh, hanging out at deer camp or whatever. And, you know, that, and that's kind of what I grew up in, um, singing and playing. You mean you don't sit on the back porch with your little smart device on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever? That's not your life? <laughs> you really? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, believe it or not, uh, I think music has more these days has more to do with uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook than it does with actual guitars. But, uh, well, I, I, I got to let you evenly. Well, that's good. Uh, I want to let you know uh, my normal co-host is not with me today because he's he's dealing with some personal issues. So I have set, sitting in as my guest co-host my husband Yanni, who wanted to ask you a question. Yeah, hi, Justin. 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 I'm sorry. Um, Talking who, to the mic. Who was um? Who kind of influenced you? Um, because I'm from the old school, and I just was uh, wondering who influenced your type of music, uh, rock and I call it that. Did you catch the question? No, he was asking who influenced you in your music. He calls it rockabilly. Oh, okay, I call it yeah. rock. Ah, uh, Waylon Jennings uh, is a big one. Uh, all the way back to Elvis. Uh, I love Elvis. I love. Uh, um, Jerry Reed was a, a, a big influence on me, but you know, mostly Waylon and Hank, Hank Williams Jr. and um, that whole generation of music. That's what my dad listened to, and that's what he always played. So that's what I heard growing up. And I, you know, I always loved that stuff. Chuck Berry. <laughs> oh, Actually, I like when Chuck I was listening, Berry. Chuck Berry. I, that's a little more rock and roll than what I do. <laughs> Because yeah, when I was listening to it, yeah, I'm I'm going. I I know that sound. I I know that's because I'm listening and listening, and, and for some reason I couldn't uh, 
put a finger on it until you were with uh, what was his name, Colt Ford, uh, doing yeah, a Colt song Ford. that you had on the website. And also, when I saw him, I'm going, Bocephus, Hank Williams Jr. And you, I, I hear a lot of his influence in your music. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Hank's a big one for me. Uh, um, I mean, I, 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 the Rowdy record. And that that was like my Bible growing up. I listened to that thing more than you. Know. I mean, I wore it. I mean, I think my mama had it on vinyl too. And we, I mean, we we wore that thing plum slick out. It's you know, it's almost slick. How many times we listened to that thing? Well, you've got an album out. It's called "It's Been a While." That came out, I believe, two years ago. Um, and you're up on Spotify and YouTube, so people can uh, listen to your music there. Um, I, I noticed that you, even though the COVID virus has been out there, that you still were doing concerts. How has the COVID virus affected your ability to perform and get your music out there? Oh, I mean, it's, it's wild. It really, really is. Uh, uh, you know, we got a mask up, of course, and and you know, and to me, it's you know, being respectful of anybody, I kind of like the mask. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, I, you know, I go to Walmart, I'd rather have that thing on. I don't know what kind of germs all them people have. <laughs> you know, but before COVID, I think the mask in Walmart was a good idea. But um, we've we've basically, you know, just try to do outside stuff. And as it gets colder, I'm, I'm thinking concerts are going to be harder and harder to do. And, uh, you know, in, until they get some kind of vaccine for this. And, and you know, really, it, it's hurt us pretty bad. I mean, we we lost about 80% of our shows this year. Wow. So we, we've had to we've had to play when we can play. And uh, we did a small uh, social distance concert series this year where we went to fans' houses and, and played at their places. You know, if they wanted to hire us for a campfire show, we'd go up and play for them and uh, try to do it that way and kind of keep the crowds small and spaced out. And I mean, it, it's still a great time, but we really do miss going out and, and putting on the big shows. Uh, out, outdoor concerts, you know, especially when the weather gets colder, is going to be harder and harder. But that seems to be the safest thing to do. So you got to come here to South Carolina, where it's a little bit warmer than Kentucky. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I, I, I think I've, I've played in Myrtle Beach before. Uh, oh, that's I've, I've actually been down there. South. Or Darlington is, is, it, is that South Carolina? Uh, Darling- yeah, Darlington Racetrack. Yeah, we've been up there. Yeah, Watch yeah, the races play, there. We played out there before too. Oh, we're about three hours south of there, so <laughs> we're a little bit oh, okay. warmer. Yeah, y'all are in South South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, the real south. <laughs> Plus, we got a heavy military around us. We've got Paris Island uh, Recruit Depot for training the Marines. We've got the Marine Corps Air Station. We've got the uh, Naval Hospital. We're in the heart of what we call the Tri Command here. So you got a lot of fans down here. I'll tell you that. I appreciate it so much. I, I really do. I'm just glad that uh, we're we're able to continue to do this. And, and uh, I'm actually on the road right now, uh, calling in from a, a La Quinta in Lebanon, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I want people to get a feel of your music. Like I said, you you you're 
you write and sing to the everyday guy and gal out there. Uh, this is a fun song, uh, so they get a feel of what it is. It's from your album. It's called I Like to Drink. And unfortunately, my husband can't <laughs> drink anymore. <laughs> and matter of fact, I got to go out and get my bottle of scotch later. But anyway, this is from your album. We've got Dustin Collins. I like to drink. And here we go. If the computer behaves. And it's thinking. And I hate it when the computer takes a little time. got some great musicians who's, who's, <laughs> my husband's going yeah who are some of the people you are working with on on the album there um i mean some of the guys on the on the record uh i've got a great producer bill mcdermott uh he's worked on um from george Strait to rascal flats i mean yeah uh, um you name it he's probably been in the studio with him uh uh the band leader um uh, 
on, on that particular record of uh, Ilya Tashinsky. And uh, he's, a, he's a guy from Russia that plays the banjo and acoustic guitar. And uh, he's just amazing. I, I, I think he's a multiple Academy of Country Music award-winning uh, um, banjo player. You got a, you got a Russian playing American country. That's amazing. God bless America. Oh yeah, and he, he's he's one of the best. Oh man, that's amazing. Oh man, but um, when you go into the studio, I always like to ask you know the, my artists this. Everyone has a different way in which they do recordings. Some go in and they lay it track by track by track and then mix it. Others go in live and play it and record it all at once. How do you do yours? Uh, we usually uh we, we usually go in and cut it live and then uh uh basically get the foundation and stuff of, of everything that we're gonna use and then we might go back, you know, if we don't like certain things, go back and retrack over top of that. Uh just just depending on I mean sometimes there's been a couple times I think Cold Dead Hands we did in one one take and it was over and we were done with it. And then, you know, you go back and polish up the vocals and stuff and you head back to the vocal booth because uh, it's really hard to get that uh, full vocal sound live like that. Uh, so we're always, you know, tweaking things and we're about to start our new record. So we might try some different things we've never tried before. And just <laughs> every time we're in there, we, we, you know, try something a little different or, you know, experiment with the sound a little bit and try to find out where, you know, where our good spot is. No, it, it it's it's fun to learn how you guys do it, and I try to visualize, you know, you guys going out there into the studios. Um, I used to play classical violin, so I I understand music, um, but you know, I, when I see someone with your talent, I always want to know how you guys all put it together. But I'm glad you mentioned uh, from my cold dead hands. Um, Mulan Lobby, <laughs> for those who don't know, from my cold dead hands, basically. Uh, you hear America in your music. You hear your patriotism, your love of country. And uh, that is something that we really, really need at this time and place. So would you mind if I played cold dead hands? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, go ahead. And, uh, I, I love that song. That's one of my favorites I've ever wrote. Okay, here we go.
You're listening here to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Sister Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart, and oh God, half a dozen other places. Also in WCET out of Columbia, South Carolina, our guest is the one, the only, the magnificent Dustin Collins. <laughs> Dustin, I, we love that song. We absolutely love that song. And I, I got to tell you a funny story. Um, we were watching... Perry Mason, of all things, uh, yesterday on TV, and they have a scene where this guy shoots a revolver and kills someone, and I, 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 it drives me nuts because when you look at the cylinder on the revolver, there's never any bullets in it, and I'm trying to explain this to my mother. <laughs> so I said, wait a minute, Mom, Mom, how can you fire a gun with no ammo in it? And um, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm a retired cop. So I reached into my little drawer. I pulled out my off-duty chief. It's a little uh, snub-nosed 38. I says, look, and I, I had the cylinder open. I wasn't going to point. <laughs> I says, Mom, you can see the tip of the ammo. Why do they always with no ammo and then they, and then you kill the person on screen? It makes no sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've seen a, a, couple, a couple of the war, war movies. I, I'm a veteran. Uh, I, I served, served in uh, 2005, 2008, and uh, all the war movies and stuff. When I see their messed up uniforms, it drives me crazy. <laughs> well, thank you for your service. I, I, we love. Yeah, Veterans Day was just this week, uh, and this has been a show that is today has been absolutely phenomenal because we had Jesse Iwaji, who just recently got. Uh, 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 promoted to Lieutenant Commander, U.S. Navy, also a NASCAR driver. So he was on just a little before you. So it, it, this has been a rocking show, especially for our vets. And I don't know if you're aware that we start out each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero, whether they be military, first responder, 
or an outstanding citizen of the United States. So, you know, thank you, sir, for, for your service. Did I lose you, Dustin? No, are you there? Yeah, 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 we're here. We're here. We're here. So okay. I was just saying thank you for the service. But um, as we were listening to uh, the previous song, uh, my husband threw a couple of things at me, uh, Yanni, and he, he's got an idea for a song for you. This is too funny because uh, he no longer is able to uh, enjoy a beverage. Uh, so he's going from a bar stool to a pew. You stop drinking, you start thinking. <laughs> How does that sound? <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, I've actually got a, a whole new album coming out, and it's kind of uh, it's touch, touching on some of those subjects. Because you know, uh, I, I'm old now; <laughs> I'm getting or getting older, and uh, you know, the fun kid songs that I wrote when I was 22 and 23, you know, uh, it, it, they just don't feel right to play anymore. So it's like, um, you know, really trying to move into more more of a grown up album. <laughs> Uh, you know, I like to drink. We put that out last year, and uh, I thought it was just a funny song when I wrote it. It was supposed to be a big joke, and I sent it to my manager and I sent it to my uh, producer, and they was like, "Man, this is a hit!" And I was like, "Oh man, they're gonna make me record this." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my God, they did. <laughs> so now that's how we have that song. They they loved it. They thought it was catchy, and I was like, "All right, I guess we'll we'll record this one." Uh, you know, at the same time, I was working on stuff like uh, "Stand for the Flag" and all those, all those songs. Well, that's what I was just about ready to lead into, uh, because on my bumper, on my car, I've got from um, it was Hillsdale College, a little bumper sticker says, "I stand for the flag," and on my rear win- uh, window. I have the flag that pops up, so as I'm driving, it's waving down the street, and I love to piss off a liberal by pulling in front of them with my proper sticker. But, you know, you you have this new release, Stand for the Flag. What drove you to do this? Um, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of, I, I, I don't know. I got I got sick of, you know, all the, the reasons people, well, people shouldn't stand for the flag or this or this or this. I was like, you know, that's a cop out. You, you can protest in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, you stand up for the flag, and that's just from where I'm from. Because well, you know, there's a lot of people that died for that flag, and it, it's a it's a serious thing to me. And I know it's a serious thing to a lot of people like me and and like you guys. And and it's it's a you know that's the symbol of the unity in our country. And if we can't stand up and be unified by that, I don't know what we can, you know, and it really, in the times that we're in right now, it's it's even hurtful to say things like that, is that if we don't stand up for something, you know, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Well, that's one of the things that you had in the promo that you said, if you don't, if you don't stand, if you teeth in backwards, good Lord. Um, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And that's unfortunate because we need voices like yours out there to give the other side of the story, to be heard clearly and let people know, I don't care uh, where you come from or who you are. We love you. We care for you. And this nation is here to embrace you. And people fail to understand that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that uh, people want to get so 
political and drawn out and, and <clears throat> it's like they're looking for a, a reason. You know, if you go looking for a reason to divide people, you're going to find it. And it's a whole lot harder to bring people together than it is to, you know, wow, them up and get them all mad at each other. And um, okay. I think that's a lot in, in politics that's going on right now is just, you know, from, from both sides of it is, you know, let's see how far we can make these people mad at each other. And, you know, and it's all scrambling for votes. And, you know, it's really, really scary time to, to, to be a, 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 you know, conservative in the music industry. I mean, I get nasty looks, nasty comments, all, all because I'm sharing my point of view. And yet whenever uh, – you know, a liberal artist comes out and they say whatever nonsense or trash, you know, filth. Some of the stuff I've heard them say is absolute filth and garbage. And I, I wouldn't want my kids or uh, somebody else's kids listening to that. I mean, it's, you know, I've never come out and, and said anything, you know, foul like some of the things that were said, uh, you know, about, you know, normal everyday Americans, the the, the detest of of our values. And, you know, if, if everybody wants unity, you need to look on our side of the fence too. Well, absolutely. And amen for the way you say it. And you have the courage and the ability to stand up and, and, and have your voice heard and in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And you said stand for the flag, which is your new release, which has climbed the charts phenomenally. Where does it stand now? Cause last I saw it was like number one. Oh, I, I, I'm not sure about anything on the, on the charts right now. Uh, um, they, they won't tell me that till by the end of the month. I, I don't know where it's written. I know, I know that we've got a whole bunch of streams on it, and uh, a, a lot of people are liking it, and, and it's that's going over pretty well. So uh, we're really happy about that. We've also had some uh, hate mail, which I was like, if you're gonna hate me over this song, then I didn't really need you as a fan anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that one. Well, we've got Dustin Collins. If you Collins. don't like this one, you're really not going to like the other one. <laughs> That's all I can say. Well, people can get your music at your website, which is DustinCollinsMusic.com. I'm going to play Stand for the Flag, and here we go. Concrete 
We stand for the flag. Dustin, it is so much fun to have you on here. When are you going to release your next album? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, we're going to start recording it uh, in the next week. So uh, okay. we're expecting, hopefully, uh, spring of 2021. Well, we're going to have to have you back on, definitely, and help you release that album. I, I, I have so much fun talking to artists like you. I mean, I I can't even tell you how many I've had on, but you are a glory to speak to. Thank you so much. I've had a great time speaking with you guys as well. Well, people can get your music at DustinCollinsMusic.com. You're on Spotify, iTunes, and half a dozen other places. But they click on your Facebook, website. Uh, and Facebook, your Instagram, album. and Parlor. Parlor uh, and I are having a bit of a tiff because I can't keep on signing. Every time I sign in, it tells me I got the wrong sign-in info. So I'll get myself back up this soon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people having problems with the app. I think it grew too fast for people to catch up with it. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, don't, I don't think the servers are handling the traffic well. <laughs> no, but we'll get ourselves back up there. Uh, Dustin, thank you so much for being with us. It has been such a joy. All right. Thank you so much. And God bless. I check it out, DustinCollinsMusic.com. And we've got our final victim up in the batting box, our friends from the Heritage Foundation. And you know what, uh, Yanni? This gentleman falls directly in cue for who we are going to have on next week, answering the 1619 Project. So we want to welcome from the Heritage Foundation, Dr. Joseph Laconte. I mean, it's Italian Day today. It's Italian. Um, anyway. Hello, Eddie. Yes, we are yes, here. Thank you. I guess it is, it is Italian Day. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you, Paisano. I mean, <laughs> we, we, had, <laughs> we had Craig Syracuse with, was with us, uh, and then me, and then you. So it's Italian Day. <laughs> Buongiorno. That's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> piacere. Piacere. Molto piacere. I don't speak it. I only eat it and make it. It just means pleased to meet you. I, I I am so half Italian that I make my own pasta sauce. And let's not get into the argument between a sauce and a gravy. Because there is a yeah, difference. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's not go down that road. It's going to get very ugly. It's going to get very ugly. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, you're with the Heritage Foundation. People can find you at heritage.org. But you have a book out. And I, I wish I had known about this before uh, uh, oh. Tom sent you over here. Um, it's called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. How J.R.R. Yeah. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. Very few people understand 
what was going on in America at that time. And I, I'm usually amazed at how close we're mirroring those times. Yeah, you put your finger right on it. And I think that may be the reason the, the book, uh, which I wrote five years ago, and we're making, it into, we're making it into a documentary film series, I should say, as we speak. I think it's, it, there's an enduring interest in this thing because there is a similarity in the, in the two times. Think about after the First World War, the cataclysm of that war, the influenza virus 100 years ago. So you lost millions of men in the war. Then you lost at least 50 million people in influenza. And then what did you have? You had the explosion of these ideologies, communism, fascism, eugenics, scientism. It's all coming into its own in the 1920s and 30s after the cataclysm of the war and influenza. It's not an accident. Those, those catastrophes, I think, helped to set loose those radical ideologies. And we're in a somewhat similar situation now, you could argue. We've been through some difficult times. And we've got some real radical ideologies we have to beat back with a, with a, with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and with a two-by-four. Um, yeah. It, it, is, it is so similar in so many ways, and yet they also were trying to – that's when they started to really get into our education system and rewrite our society. And we're seeing this yeah. now, New York Times 1619 Project – and yeah. it's very, very ironic that uh, Tom sent you to me because I'm in the middle of reading Peter Wood's book that is coming out uh, next week yeah. Uh, yeah. called 1620, The Answer to the 1619 yeah. Project. And, yes. and I was, as I was reading your articles that people can find at heritage.org, how very closely everything you write is what he has in his book, too. Yes. Yes, and we just did a, a webinar series. We're still, we just launched it on, this, on the Mayflower Compact, signed, of course, 400 mm-hmm. years ago, 1620. So, yeah, Peter Wood is exactly right. If you want to go find the, the roots of America's liberal democracy, freedom, religious freedom, political freedom, economic freedom, you can find the, the roots of it there in the Mayflower Compact, 1620, an amazing document, not 1619, as the radical left. Uh, is trying to impress upon us through their own false narratives, throughout their own rage uh, and resentments. It's just, uh, we got a real battle. We have a real battle for the, uh, the history of this country, what I call a crisis of memory. It's a crisis of memory. Once we stop teaching civics, once we stop really teaching America's history in an honest, intellectually honest way, well, what do you expect? We have a, we have a generation of people can't even name the three branches of government much less defend our system of government, right? We got a we got a real problem on our hands. We we've got a loss of the soul of America is like yeah. how I like to tell yeah. it. And that's something else that you talked about because uh, you did, you did a, a debate over at Oxford about what was it about five years ago or so or more? Oh, I don't, boy, I, longer than that. Yeah. Um, were you in the debate saying that? American values and religion are symbiotic. And if people don't understand that if we lose our moral values, our core values, which is Christianity and Judeo-Christianity, to be put it correctly, um, we lose America. And that's what we're battling for right now. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty well put. I mean, we're, we're conducting an experiment right now, you could argue, in this country. And the experiment is, can the United States survive the destruction of its founding ideals? Can it just go on merrily on its way? Can the system continue if we decide to destroy the foundations, the political, moral, and religious foundations of the country? That's what we're now, I think, uh, testing. And we have one, uh, I don't want to put it in two uh, black and white terms, but certainly there are forces on the left, the progressive left, which apparently have a very comfortable home in the Democratic Party, uh, forces on the left that are really, it seems to me, determined uh, to deny, to revise, to revile uh, the founding principles of the United States. And that, that cannot be good for this country. It can't be good for democracy. It will, it will be a disaster for human flourishing um, and a disaster for the world if, if the United States, the lead country in the West, really moves into a, in a season of cultural crisis and decline. That's bad for the West and for the world, not just for America. Well, where, where we go, the rest of the world follows us. And it, it, it could be fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. But if we fall, the rest of the world will end up in chaos. You know, um, in, in your debate, you had quoted Thomas Jefferson, where he said, no nation ever yet existed or been governed without religion, nor can be. The Christian religion mm, yeah. is the best that has ever been given to man. And, and yeah, people yeah. look at that and go, Oh, geez, the Catholic Church. Well, wait a minute. That's not all of Christianity. The Catholic Church has the Pope down, whereas the rest of the Protestantism or other Christianity, it's from the people up, which is what we are. We're from the people up. And what people don't realize is that in Christianity, in true Christianity, if you go for the true teachings of Christ, we are taught, we are given free will. We can accept Mm. all the way. And that is the beauty of America, where we exercise our free will. Without it, we wouldn't have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to petition the government, and freedom to defend ourselves, our lives, our property. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you put it beautifully. Uh, Freedom of conscience. The first freedom is religious liberty (laughs) in the Bill of Rights, right? It's not an accident. That's the first one at the Bill of Rights, religious liberty, freedom of conscience, because you're right. It supports the other freedoms, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, the right to petition the government, freedom of association. You do all those other freedoms because you're moved in your conscience, right? And if, if you don't have freedom of conscience, if government doesn't protect it, well, then you've got a dictatorship or a totalitarian state. That's what you've got eventually, <laughs> right? I've, I've got things like you have no idea. I had about an inch thick of notes for all my guests today, and you were, you're you're the last of the pile, the best for the last. Just think of it that way. <laughs> um, because um, we had, uh, I'm looking for this guy's name, um, uh, New England. Uh, Roger Williams said, uh, "Oh, right." He just said. He fought to establish a government that would respect Jews, Muslims, Catholics alike. His argument was simple. Force worship stinks in God's nostrils. But yeah, I love that quote that, from Williams. Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to make this point because uh, when you look at that statement and you look at what is going on between the Pope, the Catholic Church, and China, 
China recognizes yeah. the need yeah. for religion, but they want yeah. to control it. So government yeah. becomes not government becomes religion, very much alike conservative Muslim nations. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the real uh, problem with China uh, on that point for a moment, and the challenge that any church has operating in China. Are you going to do it with integrity, freedom of conscience, or are you going to kowtow to Beijing and the and the dictators there? It's a huge challenge. Christians, this is not a new historical problem, though, is it? Christians have been facing this, these challenges, you know, for about two thousand years, right from the get go. Uh, as, as the Apostle Paul and Peter and others said right at the get-go in the, in the book of Acts, who are we going to honor? Who are we going to listen to? Is it going to be God or men? We're going to keep preaching. You can't shut us up. <laughs> but, of course, the amazing thing that's so encouraging, about, uh, uh, particularly about Christianity, the Christian faith, is that it is, it is communicated through discussion, through persuasion, through argument, never through force. And I know that's not always been the history of the church. I understand that. Both Protestant and Catholics have fallen into that kind of uh, that uh, militant mindset that has been a problem in the church in history. I understand that as an historian, I, I get that. But what, what I want to say at the end is that there have always been Christian men and women of good conscience who said, no, the way we communicate the gospel is the same way Jesus did. Uh, it's through peaceful persuasion, through conversation, preaching, and of course, our lives modeling the love of Christ. That's the Christian way. And it's, per, it's something perfectly that I think our Jewish brothers and sisters understand and also appreciate because Judaism also communicates its faith through persuasion, through discussion. This is the deep, one of the deep connections between the Jews and the Christians, people of the book, people who worship God according to the dictates of conscience. It's just a great legacy. That's why, it's the, the, that's why the Judeo-Christian heritage is so important to the United States. It's, this, it's one of those foundational um, principles of our whole constitutional order, uh, the belief and the dignity and the freedom of the individual, not just the masses, but of the individual. It's crucial, isn't it? It is. It is very crucial. Um, as I'm looking at my notes here for you, I'm looking back at the title of your book. I got to tell you, um, when I was in junior high and high school, I fell in love with J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. As a matter of fact, I've seen works of uh, J.R. Tolkien, and I've got quite a few books of C.S. Lewis um, on there. And as a kid, I understood, you know, what they were writing about, even though they did it, you know, in a fantasy world. But I could see the parallels, and it was a pair of them. Um, But people, when you have someone like the New York Times, not someone, a, a group of people like the New York Times or, or an institution that pushes forth this 1619 project that predicates the idea that America was founded on the preservation of slavery. Uh, when you look at what true Christianity is and what the Puritans did uh, with the Mayflower Compact, yeah. You, I'm looking for the phrase, but I think I know, you know where I'm trying to take this. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, part, part of what our, what our friends, loosely, our friends at the New York Times don't seem to understand. They don't really understand, of course, religion. They don't understand Christianity, many of them. And what they fail to grasp then is that because there was such a Christian culture in the United States, 
even in those early days, especially in those early days in the 17th century, even with the existence of slaves, because you had such a strong Christian influence, ultimately the basic storyline of the Bible was going to prevail, meaning a story of freedom. Because what, is the script, what are the scriptures, if you think about it? The, the arc of scripture, it bends toward freedom, to borrow a line from Martin Luther King, right? It's a story of the liberation of the Jews out of slavery into the promised land. And of course, in the New Testament, the story of the liberation of the human soul out of the slavery of sin and, sin and death and into the great salvation and grace of God. So the Bible is a freedom book. And if the Bible could be called one of America's founding documents, and I think we could, the third founding document next to the, the Constitution and the Declaration, if the Bible is a third founding document, then the freedom story, the freedom narrative was going to prevail in this country. And you don't get a whisper of that from the 1619 crowd because they, they've, not, they've hardly even read the Bible. They don't know what the story of the Bible is. And the profound ignorance on the part of those elites it staggers the imagination, staggers me. Well, you know, How's that? I, have, I, have, <laughs> I have a friend of mine, um, Judge Murray Silver, uh, who was actually a civil rights uh, attorney during the time of the civil rights uh, marches. He was friends with Martin Luther King Sr., Reverend Abernathy. Um, he, he was yeah. in the heart of all that. He wrote a book called Daddy King and Me, and I... I He's now up in his 90s, so he's wow. no longer able to really you know, talk anymore. But one of the things he yeah. wrote in his book that Abernathy said is that when will those liberal northerners ever come to march with us? And it, wow. I found that amazing because abolitionists were – the heart of it was in northern Christians, not liberals. Of course. They tried to teach us. It was Republican. And Martin Luther King Sr. and Jr. were Republicans until they finally convinced President Johnson, who was a segregationist, to finally push forward the civil rights because he realized it was going to get him votes. Uh, That's when the shift changed. Yeah. That's a really good part of the history, isn't it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, they failed to realize the heart of freedom and abolition was the Republican Party. It was formed by... Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And there's been some really good historical work done on this. The importance of the evangelical, frankly, the Protestant evangelical community to the formation of the Republican Party and the endorsement of its anti-slavery agenda. That never gets discussed by our friends in the New York Times, of course, because they just want to paint conservative Christians as, you know... Uh, militant, zealous uh, uh, crackpots. <laughs> but but it seems to me the opposite is the case. <laughs> the, 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 the left-wing, militant, secular wing of the Democratic Party and the, and the progressive movement, these are the real folks who are on the fringe of reality. They don't know their history, and they're trying to rewrite our history in order to bring about a new future, a kind of uh, Orwellian future. You know that great line from Orwell, he who controls the past controls the future. That's why they want to get a hold on, a, on the history books, so they can redefine our, our past, so that they can reimagine our future along their leftist, radical, utopian lines, which would be a catastrophe for us and for the world. Well, why isn't anyone speaking out against the 1619 Project? You don't hear it in the news. You find it seeping into the classrooms across the whole nation. 
Why isn't anyone refuting this openly? Well, I do want to say, and it's not just because I work at the Heritage Foundation, this is one of the major projects we have undertaken, uh, especially in the last, I've only been on board now since June. As soon as I hit the ground running in June, this was like project number one handed to me <laughs> by my bosses, the 1619 oh, Project. So we have. <laughs> so Heritage has been out on this. And it's part of the reason we uh, – I'm too shy. <laughs> That's right. And part of the reason we took on the May, this whole uh, 1620 Mayflower Compact webinar series, which you can, you can go look at online, was the pushback against 1619. So uh, we're on this. Our allies are on this as well. Uh, so uh, I hear you. We, we have to work harder at it. I, I get you. Um, I'd love to see more of our friends in the major media taken on. The Wall Street Journal guys have done a great job of taking it on. Um, but let's face it, we got some pretty wimp, wimpy media out there and a lot, a lot of cowardice. Yeah, well, you saw that with Fox News. <laughs> well, I'm Fox sorry. News, I, yeah. I, my husband and I stopped watching Chris Wallace about two presidential elections ago. Uh, <laughs> so we were already switching There's times people came up switch the channel but now we're with newsmax or one american news yeah. now and it's yeah. unless it's well they actually canceled judge janine and i love talking to her because you know i'm the ex-cop she's the judge both new oh, yorkers yeah. <laughs> a lot in common yeah yeah and new york attitude i got you yeah, like I, I, I always say, you can take the cop out of Brooklyn, but not the Brooklyn out of the cop. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm Southern I may not have been born uh-huh. down here, but I got as soon as I could. But you know, we need to. Yeah, go ahead. No, I said we need to push the 1620 idea that yes, exactly for the first time in anywhere. A group of individuals came together and decided to form a government without a tyrant, a king, a ruler, a leader above yes. them, but yes. government of the citizens. It didn't matter if you were a yes. servant or a landowner. Everyone was yes. treated on an equal one-on-one basis. It was the first time in history that ever occurred. It's an impressive thing that happens there. With, the, with these Mayflower guys, I have, a, I have a short essay about it in National Review this week, National Review Online this week, um, called Resisting, Resisting the Leviathan. Resisting the Leviathan. You know, Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes, and the whole idea is you've got to have a powerful, all-powerful ruler if you're going to have order and security. Uh, but the American uh, founders and right back to the pilgrims, they really refuted Hobbes. They resisted Hobbes' impulse, the Leviathan impulse, and they chose self-government. And here we are. A lot to be grateful for. Yeah, well, uh, you wrote, and I have it in my hands. See, I do my research. Uh, in his famous, famous Lothiathan, I can't talk today, the 17th century theorist Thomas Hobbes argued that members of a political society should submit themselves to an absolute sovereign to preserve their yeah. lives and security. And with this American experiment, with the start of the Mayflower Compact, and actually you can probably go even further back to the Magna Carta, where it, I, or, sure. or um, the Book of Common Law, which recognized sure. the right of your ability to protect your property and selves for self-defense, to the ability yes. to own property, which is in the English Book of Common Laws, as well as the Magna Carta, and then reinforced with a document like the Mayflower Compact. 
Yeah, this is the amazing thing about the Americans. I got to tell you, <laughs> we, we don't just start from scratch. We are drawing on this older tradition, particularly the English tradition, common law, Magna Carta, Christianity. They're not throwing all those things out the window. They're drawing on it and they're taking it the next step. That's the amazing thing about the Americans. You know, the American Revolution in some ways is conservative because it's holding on to some really important things, right? But then it's also radical because we're getting rid of the king and we're getting rid of the, of the national church. That's radical stuff in the 18th century. Get rid of the monarch, get rid of your national church, a free market of religion. That's radical. But they're also holding on to these other deep truths, the moral truths, the Western canon, the idea of government by consent, the idea of a moral law, natural law, the Ten Commandments, the Judeo-Christian tradition. They're not throwing that out the window. That's their anchor. So the American Revolution, as I think about it as an historian, it's both conservative and radical at the same time, which is pretty amazing. That, you can't think of many revolutions like that. No, not what, what really gets me, uh, my blood boiling, is then they go, well, there were slaveholders that signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Sure. Yeah. Yes, they were, but they put in place, because somewhere in their hearts, somewhere in their minds, they knew there was a moral quandary there. They knew it was a problem, yeah. and sooner or later, slavery must be abolished. They put yeah. in place mechanisms to trigger what became our civil uh Civil War. They knew that they had to put these triggers in place, and the Constitution almost was not even signed until George Washington, on that final day, brought a reverend in and made everyone kneel in prayer. And only then did everyone sign on to it. You know, you're on something really important in that I think the American founders, uh, and of course, they're, they're slaveholders among their ranks, but they're also men like Benjamin Rush, who are very anti-slavery, also part of that crew. Um, but they did have a guilty conscience about it. And I think that's the undisclosed fact uh, with things like the 1619 Project, a profoundly guilty conscience. And you can see that in the correspondence, in the discussions, in the debates. Uh, if you just take a little time to do your homework, which I wish they'd done more of over there in the New York Times, you see the guilty conscience of the founders, and you're right. They lay down these principles as Martin Luther King Jr. understood. Uh, they dug these great wells of democracy, as King put it, the, the Constitution and the Declaration, the great wells dug by our forefathers uh, and the Judeo-Christian tradition. So, yeah, they made it possible. They made the Emancipation Project possible and the Declaration, if you think about it, for the first time in human history. It puts on notice the slaveholders and the entire slave industry. It puts it on notice that its days are numbered. That's the remarkable thing about the Declaration. It's, it's, it's announcing for the first time in human history, here's a nation coming together on the basis of human equality and human liberty. Absolutely remarkable. Well, you know, I would, I would love to have you on for a much longer period. You know, less than 30 minutes is not long enough to speak with you. So <laughs> next time you got to give this girl an hour because, you know, we could have like you wouldn't uh, believe because the book that I learned the Constitution on was the biography of a Constitution by uh, the husband and wife team, the Brodus. And uh, my I think mine goes back to like 1970, my edition of it. Yeah. Wow. I'm a child of 1776. I wasn't born there. That's when I graduated. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I'm not 1776, but you know what I mean. Anyway, it has been so much fun having you on. We definitely have to have you on much longer. People can find you. You're at King's College in New York City. You're also up on the Heritage Foundation, which they can find you at heritage.org. Dr. Joseph Lacanti, it is such a pleasure, Paisano. (laughs) My my pleasure. Uh, Grazie per tutto. Thank you for everything. We'll do it again. Absolutely. And my grandmother would say, Anuch, he's a nice Italian boy. <laughs> <laughs> Great being with you. Thanks so much. God bless. All right. Take check him out. Uh, Dr. Joseph Lacanti over at heritage.org. That is all we've got for our show. Um, we will be back uh, next week, and we have some excellent guests, Dr. Peter Wood with his new book, 1620. And we also have Alex McFarland also uh, on next Friday. Uh, So guys, uh, have a safe weekend out there and God bless you and thank you for listening in. Uh, I'm signing out. This is Annie, the Radio Chickadee, Ubelis. And you'll find us at our name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And a special, special shout out, sitting quietly in the studio listening room, our friend Sweet Sue. Good afternoon, Sweet Sue, and God bless later and I'll leave you with Gary Pecarella Save America Love and love.